0: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little bit about adfreeshows.com. People often ask me, what exactly is AdFreeShows shows all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not only do you get early ad-free access to all of my podcasts, starting at just $9, but you also get many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts, like Click This with Kevin Nash. Gentleman Villain with William Regal Oh You Didn't Know with Brian James and others, but yes, still just $9 a month. That's 14 podcasts in total every single week early with no ads. That's like 20 cents an episode. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or through your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Want some more cheese on that Whopper? AdFreeShows.com has literally tens of thousands of hours worth of bonus content, including fantastically popular series like Eric Fires Back, Idle Chase, and Strictly Business. And I don't know why this is a thing, but there's even more than 40 Ask Conrad episodes waiting for you at AdFreeShows.com. We've got monthly Zoom chats with all the podcast hosts, live watch-alongs with wrestling legends, and more. Come on now. See for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered. That's adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling today. Check it out right now. Adfreeshows.com. You'll be glad you did. Get the house you want with the payment you want at buywithconrad.com. And You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. The first step to buying a house is buywithconrad.com. it's conrad thompson and you're listening to 83 weeks with eric bischoff eric what's going on man how are you my ag1 kicked in
1: feeling good coffee kicked in just topped off my kratom tea i am so ready to go conrad it's not even funny
0: we're going to have a lot of fun today, boys and girls. We're talking about 1997. You know, I absolutely love talking about 97 and today's no different. We're going to talk about two of the more famous moments in nitro history, the infamous or famous orange spot promo, which went down on August 25th, 1997. And then of course the NWO response. Uh, if you can't get enough of all things, WCW in 1997, this coming Wednesday, Tony Schiavone and I will watch the very last clash of the champions. That was actually the show that predates these two. Uh, so this week of WCW uh, or this two weeks, I guess is going to be covered a lot here on our network. So be sure to watch the last Clash of the champions with Tony and I this Wednesday, but today, man, we're one month removed from bash at the beach. 97, there was a lot going on in WCW in 1997. Of course, the NWO angle was hotter than ever. And now we're doing a nitro from Columbia, South Carolina. There's 8,058 fans there, which is an all-time record in the city. But that feels like nitro every single week. It's another record, right, dude? It it was. You know, and it's funny,
1: you know, we, we don't talk about that, or at least I don't see it much. Maybe it's out there, but like, you know, there used to be a lot of reporting on attendance and ticket sales and merchandise sales. That's another thing I don't see a lot reported on any longer. But Nitro as a as a hot ticket, you know, for for a live television show, man, we were smoking. It was so much fun, and it was the Nitro parties. It was the vibe. It was new. Right, it had a new feel to it. It was just so much good shit going on. But yeah, it was fun. Lots of fun.
0: The um- hey, before
1: we go, before we go, oh, don't forget. It. Did you just see me scratch my tip?
0: I I did. I wasn't going to bring attention to it, but I did say I'm making my nipples hard for (laughs) you. Do you still have the piercings in? No, I don't have any piercings. Joe Gomez said you used to have them pierced. Huh? Joe Gomez said you used to have them pierced and that you would sit in the gorilla position and you know how the Notre Dame football players run out of the locker room and they'll slap the little sign above the door that says play like a champion today. Well, the wrestlers, the boys, as they came through gorilla, they would tweak your pierced nipple. That's what Joe Gomez said. That's the fucking weirdest thing I've ever heard in my life. I made it it's up. I just, weirdest thing I've didn't expect you to talk about scratching your itchy nipples today. Well, no, I didn't
1: it just it was a subconscious thing, and and then I realized it's on camera and people see <laughs> me like this. Like some kind of I'm with it. Stripper in a crappy little greasy strip bar. Anyway, let's get back to business. Last week, we talked about Eugene, right? Yes. A 2004 run. Yes. And Eugene, you know, the character in WWE was a part of that conversation. And I said, man, I feel, you know, a little guilty and kind of bad that I I wasn't more conscious of perhaps the negative impact that that character could have on people in the audience. Right, right, right. So, anyway, we did a follow-up with Eugene on Adfree Shows yesterday. How about Nick that? Nick Dinsmore. We did a follow-up with Nick Dinsmore, who played character Eugene. Yes. And, honest to God, it was the most emotional thing I've ever discussed on air. Really? I. All three of us on that on that Zoom call on Adfree Shows were crying. Like, I had to read a letter that someone had recently actually uh, a mother had recently written to Nick, and I read it because Nick couldn't. He sent it to me with a note saying, "I can't read this on air. I'll never get through it. Could you please try?" Hmm. I thought, "Sure, I can do that. It's not my story. Not going to make me emotional." Yeah, <clears throat> I, I, I just—I was a blubbering, crying, babbling baby. All three of us were. But you should go back and watch it because it's not everything is what it seems, right? We, we react to things, we react to other people's reaction to things. That's what social media is all about, right? Just beat each other up over social media, reacting to your reaction. Why'd you react the way you reacted to their reaction? It's like fucking nuts, right? But we, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna talk about myself. Um, I've, I've fallen into that trap sometimes, mm-hmm. and it made me feel guilty about something. But I read that letter and I thought, you know what? It's the same reason I wrote my book, Grateful, because you're not aware. I was not aware of of how the things that we've done in the ring over the past 20 years that I've been involved with either in the ring or behind the scenes, whatever, those things impact people in ways that none of us really understand Mm -hmm. until a long time later. And this was... Nick Dinsmore's example of what happened to me with a young lady by the name of Amanda. And when I read that letter on the air, or when I read it on the zoom call for ad free shows, I just made me even more proud of the opportunity that I've had to do stuff in front of the ring or in front of people in the ring, just like Nick Dinsmore is. And the positive impact that that Eugene character had on a young boy who was autistic and was bullied and, Hmm. And the Eugene character became became um, a source of strength for that young boy and his mother, single mother raising an autistic child, and needed strong male figures in that young boy's life. And the the impact that it had. And now that young man is married, built himself a home. It's just an amazing story. I encourage you to go back and read, and especially you, because your name came up. And. Uh, Go back and watch it. I think it's very interesting. Can't wait. Appreciate man. what we do. Even this show. I mean, we're probably affect. We know we are. Cause we've both gotten those letters and emails and so forth. It's just fun to be able to do something decent.
0: Sorry. Right. Didn't mean to get, get out of my soapbox. Oh, listen, it's great stuff, man. I mean, there's a, there's a bigger purpose than, uh, you know, just talking about the good old days of professional wrestling. We're trying to provide some entertainment and some levity and uh, an escape for a lot of folks who are, uh, going through some tough times, you know, and, and we've been lucky enough to be involved in some really cool stuff in that regard. And to know that something that you and I thought maybe on the surface, boy, I wish we wouldn't have done that. If it turns out that that actually helps some folks, maybe we overthought ourselves. Uh, I can't wait to check it out. It's uh, by the way, I want to mention, since we last talked about WCW, 1997, cause we've been doing that a lot this year here on 83 weeks, Ultimo dragon won the TV title from Steven Regal. Jerry Lynn has now left uh, Monday night. Raw is going back to every other week. Tapings. The WWF is moving to three hour pay-per-views, no more two hour in your houses, and they'll all cost 29 95 to match what WCW is doing at the time. WCW is being sued by ECW for the use of Raven and dancing. Stevie Richards, Alex Wright has won the cruiserweight title from Chris Jericho. The giant choke slams you. You told the wrestlers, Hey, cut out the bad language, the vulgar and distasteful gestures. So lots of stuff coming here. And then we see this report quote six was fired for a short time. The week before Bischoff was under a lot of heat from the higher-ups for standards violated largely having to do with vulgarity standards. Six must have used naughty words and some of his gestures weren't met with the highest of approval either. And the tag match with Flair and Henning versus Norton and Bagwell when Six did the run-in, he pulled Flair's tights down and Bischoff claimed it was the straw that broke the camel's back. When he told Hall and Nash what happened, they were ready to walk, and an hour later everything was fine again. But listen, you're in a tough spot because on the one hand, you probably don't hate what's being presented. But that's not your job. Your job is to pass down from the office what everybody thinks this show should look like. And they're not really asking your opinion on that. And when they say, Hey, you can't do X, Y, and Z. And you tell the guys, Hey, you can't do X, Y, and Z. And then they go and do it kind of puts you in a bad spot. Does it not? It does. It
1: does. And look, admittedly, there were times when I had to make decisions Yeah. Or take an action that I didn't really want to take that I didn't really think was fair or maybe not even fair. Fair was never the issue for me. wasn't necessary. Right. Because sometimes in the the case of, of Xbox in this particular situation, a conversation would have handled it. Yeah. Right. But when you're in a corporate environment and you've got somebody that's your boss, the head of sports, the head of Turner sports, which was responsible for WCW. That's who I reported to. Um, when you get that phone call Harvey Schiller says, look, we're taking too much heat from ad sales. What you're doing on TV is great. It gets an audience. I'm paraphrasing all of this, but this was his point. But if we can't sell it to advertisers, it doesn't mean much to us. There you so, go. Clean your shit up. And I did, and I had to, but you also have to make a statement so that everybody else sees that this isn't just Eric having a conversation backstage. This is a serious issue.
0: This, yeah. He means business.
1: And that's exactly what, what went down. It just is what it is.
0: It's not popular. And it's certainly not something that is spoken about uh, in public a lot, but you know, there is a phrase for this and it's not awesome. And I hate that we're talking about people this way. But sometimes when you're trying to be a leader and you're trying to make decisions and you're trying to look for the greater good, you have to, and boy, this is going to not make everybody happy, but it is what it is. You got to make an example of someone. And if you show everyone, Hey, you can't do this. And here's an, an example. Why the, the book 48 laws of power calls it strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And I'm not saying necessarily that, 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 I like that one that, that, that Sean Waltman was necessarily a Randy Savage or, or, or Rick Flair, but buddy, a year later, you're going to be doing the same thing with Ric Flair. So Mr. Waltman need not feel special. You have to occasionally make an example of someone, which again, just sucks that we're talking about human beings this way, but it kind of is what it is. Uh, and, and that that's the spot you're in. And of course, when you try to do that, Hall and Nash, try to play politics as the legend goes. I need to hear from your perspective. How did that go down? I I sort of understand the Waltman thing. Had a conversation. Don't do this. He did something. A lot of people would say in that circumstance, it was probably Rick who called the spot. Uh, Rick loved to uh, do that comedy spot. He's been very open about, hey, as my physical skills diminished, I tried to insert comedy. And an old man getting his pants pulled down and exposing his butt is a guaranteed laugh and a funny ha-ha. And it feels as if something he would have called. But, you know, hey, I told you not to do this type of stuff, and we did it. And then when the rubber hits the road with Hall and Nash, they sort try, try to say, well, what about tell me how that goes with Holland Nash and you and you ultimately. acquiescing." They, they, they
1: were just, they were pissed. Man. Look, they were, they were tight. Uh, Sean is, was a brother to them.
0: Yes. Um,
1: and they reacted emotionally. Kevin and and I'm sure about, you know, I never Scott and I never talked much about the business of the business, right? Kevin got it. He knew he understood. He didn't like it. He bitched about it. He reacted emotionally, but it wasn't like over the top. It wasn't a big, serious issue. It was, I knew in my mind in a matter of hours, it would pass. And by the next day, no one would even remember it. It would not be a big deal, but in the moment it was, it was, yeah. They weren't happy and they let me know and everybody else.
0: (laughs) Now, without them doing that, without pushback from them, do you think you would have landed on bringing him back anyway?
1: Like, yeah. Yeah. Probably. I don't know that I told Sean this, but I probably did. I I was doing what I needed to do in that moment, knowing that a week later or a day later, no one was even going to remember it. And I would have brought Sean back. I just had to do what I had to
0: do. There's a famous story out there that I think tells the story of who Eric Bischoff really is, not who people who don't know him think he is, but there is a story out there that I think Waltman put out there where he did something on TV that he shouldn't have done. And when he came back through the curtain, you said, Hey, Sean, Sorry to have to do it to you, but they're cracking down on me. I got to find you $5,000 for it, but don't worry. I'll find a way to get it back. <laughs> Does
1: that there ring a bell?
0: Go. There you go. Same thing. I mean, I got it.
1: I had to do what I had to do, but I could make it right down the road. You yeah. Know? And that's, that was, that's what this situation was. No more, no less.
0: So let's keep it going here. Uh, we're also coming off the clash, which, uh, Tony and I are going to cover this coming Wednesday. This is the, the now infamous clash, the last one where the bird comes down from the top of the ceiling, top of the rafters at municipal auditorium flies down. He's supposed to, as Meltzer would report, have a note and the note would say Hogan's soul. And of course this whole angle is built around on Monday JJ Dillon said, By this Thursday night at Clash of the Champions, I need to hear from your mouth what it is you're looking for, Sting. What is it you want? Because he had been offering him different NWO opponents and he would tear the contract up. He didn't want those guys. He wants Hogan. So on that Monday nitro before the clash, Sting's in the ring with JJ as all of this is going down, and he just points to signs in the crowd that say, JJ, Sting wants Hogan, which we all knew, but of course, for wrestling, I'm trying to tell a story. But then J.J's not even at the clash. Not only is he not at the clash. By the time the bird lands from the top of the building to the ringside area, because they shut the lights off to make that happen, the bird no longer has the document that says Hogan's soul. And if you watch the clash with Tony and I this Wednesday, you'll see Scott Hall recognize he doesn't have the note. So he reaches down or so it looked like on camera and ripped up one of the flyers that flew down from the ceiling that said, you know, first year of the NWO too sweet. And he tried to hand it to you as if this is the message from the bird that just fell in the ring, but there's no microphone, there's no announcer play. And the last like three minutes of the show are just absolute silence as the NWO who have beaten up literally every WWE superstar or WCW superstar individually and collectively they've held police at bay with baseball bats but they're scared as fuck of this buzzard <laughs> and it's just a little bit I like I love the way you said that
1: they're scared the fuck of this buzzard
0: <laughs> it doesn't make any sense man like The NWO should have beat that buzzard up, left him laying and spray painted the bird. Like that's what the NWO should have did. But instead, Oh, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, the macho man, Eric Bischoff. They're all like, what the fuck is that thing? Why is it here? And we've cut the ring off in half. Like we're looking for a hot tag or something, but it's a fucking bird. Who's just looking at the top turnbuckle. Like what the fuck am I doing? And it's one of the most hysterical things that happened that shouldn't have happened. But my takeaway, cause we're going to talk about that whole shitty segment, but my takeaway was who's the little kid who voiced over that little speech for sting.
1: I don't know. I was thinking about that when I watched the show to prep for this, I watched it, man. First of all, I don't know whose idea it was. I wish I did. Cause I, I wish I could put him over. I know it wasn't my idea. So I wish I don't know if it was Kevin Sullivan, if it was Craig Letters, Terry Taylor, who knows? It could have been anybody, uh or any, anybody of that was a part of the creative team. So I I don't know. I wish I did. And the second thing I was listening for that voice, because typically I, you know, I would have my kid do it, you know, Garrett or Montana, because they work for free. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but it wasn't them. And and I think it was whoever did it was a pro. I mean, because it was really delivered well. It wasn't just, you know, somebody's kid that happened to be in the building type type of thing. Whoever it was, was a pro. It was really, really well done.
0: I thought for sure it was going to be Shivani's kid. And when I asked him about it, he goes, nah, that's probably Garrett. He thought the same thing you did, but I was like, I don't think that's him or Eric would have mentioned it by now. So we don't know exactly how we got here. The little kid voiceover and the new introduction of the sting music and Listen, the visual mystery, um, maybe
1: we should do something like let's start something new. Let's freshen up this up, this, this podcast, like 83 weeks on an ongoing basis. Let's steal. Let's rip off an idea from WWE. Hop, don't get nervous. Don't be reaching for Dawkins number yet, but let's take (laughs) a similar idea to what they do with the hidden treasures thing. Yeah. And let's send people off on a search to find information. And then the following week, we'll reveal that little tidbit. I'm in. I like that. So let's put it out there for all of you sleuths who are into researching this kind of stuff. Let's find out who did that voiceover for that that segment for Sting. Who was the kid? And whose idea was it? Bonus points. I'll send an autographed book. My old one, not my new one. So the new one's not out yet. I'll send an autograph book to the first person that can tell me who voiced, who was the kid that voiced it over and whose concept was
0: that. I do need to find out who did the voiceover. I mean, and by the way, I really enjoyed the look. I mean, I know it's kind of silly, but staying with this crazy bird and being ominous and not saying anything and like, I get it, but it just felt like it went too long take me back to where you're standing in the ring everything's not going according to plan but it's live and it's not like you're on a headset and you can yell instructions to someone like you just gotta just grin and bear it what must that feel like um awkward yeah but it's
1: fun because that's a fun part of doing live tv right i mean when i say it's fun i shouldn't say it that way not like fun haha but you know it's you're, I, I, I like a little bit being in a panic mode. I like my back up against the wall.
0: You like uh, the pressure.
1: Yeah. Cause you get a, it's an adrenaline rush. Yeah. Now I mean, it's yeah. You got to figure shit out and it's challenging. I like that. I liked it, but I liked it a little too long because it did go on and on and on and on. And it was look, Fucking buzzard is a, one of the ugliest birds God's put on this earth. There's just no. When you get a you get a tight shot of a buzzard, you're looking at or a vulture, you're looking at one of the ugliest creations on our planet, and you don't see them much. When was the last time you saw a buzzard a close up of a buzzard on TV?
0: I don't think no. I've ever seen one. No. So it was kind of cool, but it did go into. What a, what a moment uh, we've also passed road wild where we saw Lex Luger drop the WCW title back to Hulk Hogan. The Steiners would fail to win the world tag team titles from the outsiders. And there was rumor and innuendo at the time that someone pitched the idea of trying to make high voltage, high voltage of WCW Saturday night, AKA the B show, uh, were a couple of power plant trainees who had a great look, but maybe a silly gimmick and there was talk. Hey, what if they beat the Steiners for the tag titles? That would have been obviously the biggest thing that ever happened in high voltages career, rage Mm. and chaos. Any good memories of working with those guys behind the scenes? Or do you remember it ever even being discussed that? Hey, maybe they could have a run.
1: It it wasn't discussed. That was Dave Meltzer reporting at its best. It wasn't discussed. All righty. in any, in any serious way. It wasn't as good. now who knows. Maybe Jimmy Hart was running around backstage and talked about it with somebody else and thought, wow, well, wouldn't it be cool? But that's not the same thing as a serious conversation or potential plan. Correct. That said, what do I remember about working with those guys? They were fun to work with, man. They were very positive people. They just always always there, um, conducted themselves like real pros backstage, but were fun to be around. No, uh, laughed a lot, never saw any signs of dissatisfaction or stress or anything, just fun guys. And they, they were good. They were good in the ring. They were young, but they were good. Had a lot of talent, a lot of potential.
0: So JJ Dillon is going to interrupt you, uh, to announce sting versus Hogan is going to happen and you just shit all over JJ and here comes sting. And Meltzer would speculate. You guys are ramping up for a $600,000 house for the match at starcade in Washington, DC, the brand new arena, the MCI center. But he put out that it's possible that you guys could have sold out the Hoosier dome with this. Now that would have been something else. Just want to give everybody the proper perspective. That was the home of WrestleMania eight, where it was flair and savage Hogan and Sid, and they did not sell it out. Did it ever cross your mind? And this is a hot issue. Maybe we could run a bigger building. No, it
1: didn't. And I look, Zane Bresloff was always trying to push those envelopes, right? He should have as a promoter. Um, but I don't recall Zane coming to me and suggesting the Hoosier Dome on this one. Um, he may have. I don't know. I, I know that. I know that uh, that Zane and and Dave talked fairly regularly. So maybe they had a conversation about it. I don't know, but I look. I wasn't chasing. I wasn't chasing ticket sales, right? I was more concerned about the look. What what? What did a venue have to offer in terms of making sure that the show looked great? And sometimes you know, bigger isn't always better. That's true. You know, um, I just I liked. I like to give me a give me a 7,500 seat arena or venue um, all day long and I'll work my ass off to fill it. And when that 7,500 seat venue is full to me, that's about the best size for television. You, you like it better. Or you like it bigger, but there, there's, again, this is just me. Um, 7,500 seat arena with the right acoustics. Just feels live. You get into a 20,000 seat venue, even if it's sold out, you lose some of that energy for some reason. I don't know if it dissipates through the, uh, you know, I don't know if the farther back, you you know, farther you are away from the ring in a bigger venue. Maybe there's less energy back there. I don't know. But for me, that sweet spot was always like 5,000, 6,000, 7,500, once you get to 10,000, you kind of run the risk of losing some of that energy. And I can't explain why.
0: Well, I don't disagree with you. I mean, being in the old ECW arena, it was small, but it was loud and it felt special. And I've been in an NXT show years ago on a small venue in Columbus, sort of the same thing. But then I've also been in the, you know, like a an Alamo dome in San Antonio. And it does feel like you lose some of the sound. It doesn't feel like you're as part of something, if that makes sense, but the, Hoosier- yeah,
1: maybe what it is to maybe and some of it is, I think just human nature and psychology, but it's a little bit like, you know, I mean, I went to college, but I wasn't a part of the fraternity thing. That wasn't my deal, but I'd go to some of the parties, you know, if I happened to know somebody and got invited um, it's like going to a, a party where you pretty much know everybody and you're, you're close enough together and you're kind of vibing off each other and making jokes and laughing across the room. The the energy is there in a, in a smaller party where there's, you know, 50, 75 people. But if you go to a wedding party where there's 300 people, and even though you know them and you're, some of them are your family, it's not the same energy. Yeah. So I don't know if
0: that's a good comparison or no, that's That's a great comparison. Uh, by comparison though, since that's the buzzword today, uh, the Hoosier Dome would have held more than 60,000. The MCI MCI center could hold around 20,000. So it would have been a three X, um, lots of opportunity there and lots of opportunity for you to level up in your life. Thanks to chili sleep. Eric, as you and I are recording this, I'm fresh off a beach run with the wife, our first time, just she and I this year, and we weren't alone we took a chilly sleep baby i got the best sleep of my life uh that's what vacation's about to me is, uh, is a little rest and relaxation and i can't do that without chilly sleep chili sleep has spoiled me they make customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being think of it like this it's a smart thermostat for your bed all right chili sleep makes the Uller and the cube sleep system i've got the Uller. either way we're talking hydropower temperature controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. These luxury mattress pads, keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. And these sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. Chilly sleep can make that happen for you. They've done it for me prior to chilly sleep. I would sleep five or six hours. A good night was seven. Now I'm sleeping seven, eight, nine hours. Once on vacation uh, this past week, I slept 10 hours. It was fantastic. I mean, I'm talking about bright, vivid, colorful dreams. I never had dreams at all before chili sleep. Now I know I'm getting that REM sleep. And the biggest thing for me, dude, is I feel refreshed. You've been to my office before. I have a really comfy couch in there. The entire organization knows that as Conrad's nap couch because forever and ever after lunch, I'd have to take like a 15 minute nap just to keep powering through my day. No longer. I'm telling you, chili sleep made it all possible. And they can do it for you too. head over to chillysleepcom forward slash 83 weeks to learn more, save 30% off the purchase of any new cube or Uller sleep system. And this offer is available exclusively for 83 weeks listeners. It's only for a limited time. So hurry that's chili C-H-I-L-I sleep.com slash 83 weeks to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up feeling refreshed every day, looking for a great mother's day or father's day gift idea. I was, and I found it at paint your life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint Your Life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com/slash terms for details. Let's jump into uh the Omni here. It's blown up on July 26th. This is a wrestling staple. Man, fans in the South kind of regarded it. I mean, Arn Anderson once told me it was the Madison Square Garden of the South. It's gone now because they're going to build Phillips Arena, which we know today is the State Farm Arena. But boy, the Omni was a big part of WCW's legacy and heritage. Do you remember people around the office sort of waxing poetic about this building?
1: Yeah, some of them, some of them did, you know, obviously the people that worked for, you know, Jim Crockett promotions prior to WCW, uh, certainly did, you know, the guys like Jim Barnett certainly talked about it. Gary Jester talked about it a lot. And so there, you know, there were quite a few people. I didn't have the same feeling about it because I didn't grow up in the Southeast going to live wrestling at the Omni. So my, I had zero, Um, emotional connectivity to the Omni. It was just a big, and I thought it was a dump, actually. I thought as arenas go, it was time for it to come down anyway. But I understand those who grew up going there and in Aaron's case, guys like Aaron performing there because of, you know, kind of a big deal and being able to go to a big venue like that. Because typically the guys in the Southeast, it's one of the reasons the Southeast was such a successful territory for as long as it was is you can drive for you could do a six hour you know radius on a map and probably hit six or eight towns smaller towns smaller venues um, but those are all over the place in the southeast um, so by you know if you spent the majority of your career wrestling in those 3500 seat arenas or 5500 seat arenas and then you're going to Atlanta to the omni I understand why Arn felt the You know, buildings don't seem to last long, do they? you would think an arena like that would last forever, right?
0: Yeah. You would hope. I mean, here's the thing. They tore down the Georgia dome a few years ago and don't get me wrong. The new Mercedes-Benz stadium or whatever it's called is unbelievable and state of the art. And I love it too. But it's
1: almost like they're disposable.
0: The old one wasn't bad. Like I just went to the championship game in there uh, a couple of years before, maybe the season before. and, And we were fortunate enough to have a suite and hashtag humble brag. And I'm looking around thinking. I mean, I get there's more modern stuff, but this ain't bad. Like, I could watch every game here. And, uh, and there's, you know, when I, when I was with WWE, uh,
1: because I didn't spend a lot of time on the East Coast, even with WCW, we would, we do some, you know, we did some big venues up on the East Coast. Eventually, we were able to. But, you know, when I was with WWE and we'd go to Madison Square Garden, for example, when I, the first time I walked into Madison Square Garden, I just walked around and I, imagined all of the big acts, all of the history, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cultural moments and the people involved in them. And I, I had, I probably mentioned this to you at one point, but I had this idea in my head that I was just obsessed with for a long time. I never did anything about it because it's not my world, but I wanted to do a, a coffee table book. Um, and, you know, working title would be if, if these walls could talk, yes, or these these walls can talk, and just do kind of a pictorial essay on some of the just iconic moments that happened in some of these bigger arenas, the Cow Palace. Same thing for me, man. I used to love going to the Cow Palace, and I was a shithole as arenas go. But man, there was something special about the Cow Palace. Every time I went there, I got transported back. Now, even though I didn't participate or I wasn't even a fan in some cases, not even alive back then, but not so much for, for cow palace, but for Madison square garden, I just, I love old buildings. I love the history. I love the architecture and there's a vibe. Yeah. It's not as modern and clean and pretty and the bathrooms aren't as nice and you can't have sushi catered to your seat. <laughs> get a- fucking manicure, a mani-pedi, like Bruce Pritchard would do. Bruce Pritchard would go to one of those arenas and sit back and eat his fucking shrimp and let people do his mani-pedi while he's watching a game. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that wants to sit down in the cheap seats with a a lukewarm, almost room temperature, Pabst Blue Ribbon beer, and I want to sit down there amongst spit, smoke, and the crowd. Cause that's what a live event is to me. And there's a lot of those old buildings out there still, but
0: they're, they're disappearing slowly, but surely. You don't really want a warm beer. I, I mean, drink warm beer. I, I, I don't I, care. I've seen you do it. Like I brought that's you right. a half rack at my house before and they were cold when they got sat down. But by the time you got to the last one, they were not. But if you had your druthers, you'd rather them be cold. Right. Depends what kind of beer it is. Okay. Do you know why beer is surf cold? Because it tastes like
1: piss if it's warm.
0: I knew that most
1: of the time. <laughs> most of the time. Got that, mark. But if you get a good if if you get a good non-pasteurized, which is hard to find, not a big box beer like a coors or a miller or something like those taste pretty bad warm. But if you get a good good beer, good quality beer, um, they're not bad. You know when I I, I used to hate beer. When I was a kid growing up in Detroit, my parents drank beer. Carling Black Label was their beer of choice. It was the cheapest shit you could find. And the neighbors would come over on the weekends, and I've been like six or seven or eight years old, right? And They're all drinking beer in the summertime, sitting outside, having a blast. And I'd go over and I'd sneak a beer. Go, oh, taste that. <laughs> Why do my parents drink? This is horrible. And then fast forward, I didn't all through high school. I never drank beer, well, up until a certain point that I'm getting to. All I drank was like, you know, vodka, orange juice, or gin and Coke, or whatever, you know, basically we drank whatever we could. we just mix it with something to make it palatable, right? But I never drank beer, rarely. And then I went to Germany. I was a foreign exchange student my senior year in high school, and I went to live with a German family who didn't speak English. And I I barely spoke German. I'd only been taking it for two years, I think. So, um, but anyway, I went over there. And now, when I went over there, you had to be 21 in Minnesota to drink beer. But in Germany, you could at that time. I don't know what it is now, but it was up to the bartender. If a bartender wanted to serve a 12 year old, the bartender could serve a 12 year old, Mm. right? It was it was the bartender's discretion. So I go over there. Germany and I was like, the first time I get to, I get to order a beer legally. This is awesome. And I ordered a beer and in Germany, this particular little tavern I was at or whatever it's called pub, um, they didn't refrigerate their beer. They served it warm. I took the beer and I took a and it was delicious. I became a beer convert right there in that. I got a picture of the place. I'll I'll show it. I'll post it on social media. I get a picture of this place, and it was in Haslach, Bavaria, Germany. That's so where I had my first warm beer, and I ever since then, I don't mind warm beer as long as it's a good quality beer.
0: I wish we had a beer sponsor because that would be a great. You should segue. get
1: one now after that.
0: I agree totally.
1: What the hell? Uh, it was kind of in- what I was doing, just so you know. That's called <laughs> an audition.
0: <laughs> it was written in the Observer. Great job. Uh, that Kurt Henning is having some issues getting back into ring shape. And he's done uh, quite a few set, a Saturday night tapings, but those matches would not air. There was a lot discussed about this because the last time we really saw him on a major stage, one of the last times, was like the loser leaves town match in January of '93 on Monday Night Raw with Ric Flair. And the Mr. Perfect that just blazed the trail in 87, 88, 89, 90, 91. I mean, his match with Bret Hart at SummerSlam 91, people are still talking about. And so people were hopeful that this is who we're going to get. And then he sort of flirted with the idea of doing some more with the WWF and then like a thief in the night and every, every other good idea. You stole him. Now he's on your roster, but he's really been a commentator. And he had a Lloyd's of London thing and he had some back stuff and, it felt like when he did come back, he was there. But he didn't look like the Mr. Perfect of old. When did you realize that was the, the circumstance? Early on, you know, I mean it wasn't
1: like it was a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> right, right. Early right. on, you know, um look, he had serious back issues. And the back issues led to weight issues. And that's not just because of his back, it was lifestyle as well. But, you know, that's a snowball that starts out real small. It's a back issue. Next thing you know, it's work set, whatever you're you're using for the pain. Because the pain is real. It's is a muscle relaxer. And all I'm going out with the guys to have a couple beers. And before you know it, that little snowball turns into something much bigger and does a lot more damage. And we've seen that time and time and time again. You know, um, too many, too many times to... To mention here, but it was pretty obvious early on that his back issues were real and they were causing a lot of other issues.
0: LaParca and Psychosis are going to be taken on Glacier and Ernest Miller, and there's uh, a big mess before Psychosis gets the win. Uh and it's kind of rare that the luchadors beat anybody who wasn't actually another luchador. So for Laparca and Psychosis to get their hand raised here over Glacier and Ernest Miller, it's kind of a big deal. Did that say more about the luchadors or more about where you were with this whole bloods run cold thing?
1: No, I think it said a lot more about the luchadors. And by the way, uh, hats off to Derek Sabato. He does a lot of the research work this show. I don't know if he does it for the rest of your shows or not, but he does a great job and, uh, he's a,
0: he's a fun guy to work with. So when we hang I out, saw that- call and tell Eric, uh, call and tell Jeff Jarrett that. He doesn't like Derek? Uh, he just occasionally has a little meltdown on the show about the research. That's become an ongoing gag. where people. Oh, okay. people as long like, as
1: it's a gag and people are fighting.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's cool in real life, but it is fun to just make Derek squirm a little bit. Hmm. Well, I, I, I enjoy his work, and I enjoy working with
1: him. He's a good dude. Um, but I saw that in the notes, and it you know I wanted to be prepared for that question, but I think it It had a lot more to do with the luchadors. I really wanted the luchadors to be an important part of the Nitro WCW presentation across the board. I wanted as much out of it as I possibly could get and not just give them wins over other luchadors.
0: Well, now that you have had a little love fest with Sabato, can I tell you why you won't like him?
1: Oh shit.
0: He also, he also works with Dave Meltzer. Oh, I know that. Anyway. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Damn. thought I had something cool. Uh, so speaking of, uh, other folks who were, um, about to make a splash, if you will, there's talk in the observer that there's this guy at the power plant and people are kind of high on, he'd worked a couple of dark matches as bill gold. And he believes he being Dave Meltzer, that that will be his name. Of course we know instead it's Bill Goldberg and then just Goldberg. But Bill Gold sounds like a WCW Saturday Night Enhancement talent. What say you?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, we didn't know. Look, everything happened with Bill. Everything happened fast. Yeah. They walked in. Ooh, wow. Dark match. Huge pop. Whoops. We got to put this guy on TV ASAP. Yes. I mean, that was his trajectory. Wasn't even a trajectory. A trajectory implies there's gravity involved and it starts at here and then that's a trajectory. Bill's was straight up in the air. There was no arc. Um, so I think, yeah, when we brought him out for dark matches, he was Bill Gold because, well, we hadn't even had time or the need. To consider anything else. It was just let's just get him out there and get him some reps and see how the crowd reacts. We weren't thinking about what we were gonna do with him on TV at that point. So yeah, he was Bill Gold. Um but it was never intended to be his name going forward. It was just a placeholder.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the rumors and innuendo. There's talk of the uh disco inferno coming back, of course. We all recall that once upon a time, he uh, was shown the door because allegedly he didn't want to, uh, put over miss Jackie, which is a storyline that was come up with that. Hey, we need to give her a win over one of the guys. Oh, just go do it. And then he didn't, uh, chat me up. Did he call you or did you call him and say, all right, maybe we overreacted. How does it go where he comes back?
1: No idea. No idea. And it probably would have been through either Kevin Sullivan or Terry Taylor or somebody like that. Um, I don't know what Disco's relationship was with Kevin or Terry Taylor, but it would have been one of those two guys coming to me. And and I, look, I didn't want it. This is kind of the same thing with six, right? Right, right, right. We talked about earlier. I had no, issue. I liked working with Glenn. I mean, first of all, he was kind of fun to be around you know, he's just a fun guy or he was back then. I don't know what he's like now, but he was really fun to be around. He had a great sense of humor. He kind of made himself the butt of a lot of jokes. He had that self deprecating style, which is always easy to be around and and entertaining. And his work in a ring was exceptional. I don't think he gets enough credit for his, his ability to work because his gimmick, his character kind of overshadowed that. Um, he was so good at being obnoxious that people forget how good of a performer he was. So I had no problem bringing him back.
0: It's a, he it's a line in
1: the sand. I had to react. We got past it and took care of business and we moved on. So it was no big deal. I liked it. I was glad to bring him back.
0: It's funny to me that online these days, a lot of the quote unquote smart marks really don't like disco. And they don't like him because of the things he says on his podcast with Conan. And I kind of just feel like, and I've never had a conversation with him or Conan about this at all, but it feels like disco just understands that on some level talk radio as a format, you occasionally need someone to be contrarian. And it almost feels as if he's comfortable being the contrarian and therefore he is. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, I, I can't say that I've hung out with Mr. Gilberti a thousand times or anything, but I've always gotten the vibe that he's a pretty good guy, but I think when it comes to his podcast, he's just trying to make fun radio. That, or he just, he, he
1: believes firmly in his point of view and, and he defends it and it offends, you know, I I mean, social media, internet, it's such a toxic waste dump of nonsense in, Wasted energy and emotion. all that being said, I love to play around in social media. I love fucking with people on social media. yeah I love saying things that I know are going to tweak certain people because I like to see how easy it is for me to predict, predict how they're gonna react. But it's entertaining, right? And if you let it bother you or if you let it influence you, which is the bigger issue, I think. Then I, I think it's something you should stay away from. I don't know, you know, I, I haven't sat down and had conversation with Glenn in probably two decades. Right. But I know he's a pretty lighthearted guy, or he was a pretty lighthearted guy. Mm-hmm. He's not mean. He's not, you know, intentionally belligerent. Um, but he does believe what he believes. And I'm sure that rubs up people the wrong way. It's, it's Jim Cordon. the same way. I mean, different, you know, different people, different perspectives and all that. But know i may not like a lot or some of what cornet says or more often than not it's the way he says it but i think he's one of the smartest people out there i think he's entertaining as hell
0: absolutely and
1: i think there is a lot to his perspective that if one is honest with themselves and try to be objective there's a lot of truth in what Cornette says, just like there's probably a lot of truth in some of the things that piss people off about what Glenn Gilbert, says.
0: The idea that you just compared disco and Cornette is another reason for Cornette to hate you. And I love you for it.
1: But if he does and he's not listening closely enough,
0: no, you gave a compliment.
1: And then, yeah, I mean, and, and that's the other thing on social media. Oh, Oh, and even people listening to shows like ours, podcasts, and they react to things. Is they're not really listening closely enough to get the point. They're reacting. They're they're reacting emotionally to certain aspects of what was said, and then they rush off and they post it. And it creates a shitstorm, and everybody's
0: happy. It's weird. People are weird, and I'm one of them. I'm weird. I participate in that. Analysis. Somebody else who's weird, Sid. Fired by the WWF around this time, to add context, he was in the main event with The Undertaker earlier this year at WrestleMania. He also main evented the first dome show the WWE attempted in several years against Shawn Michaels in January. And now he finds himself on the outside looking in. Does someone in WCW immediately say, Uh, hey boss, I know he's got a checkered past here, but who do you remember being a big sit advocate behind the scenes? Don't okay. again, it would have
1: I, you know, my default is Kevin Sullivan mm-hmm. um, because he was the person that I dealt with on a daily basis directly with regard to big talent acquisitions, you know, guys who were established that were in the you know mid six figure category. Those conversations generally started with Kevin occasionally with Terry Taylor, that's where they started. So I'd have to go with Kevin just by default.
0: Rick Rude debuts on Monday Night Raw. He's going to be put with Shawn Michaels and even Meltzer notes how crazy it is to put anyone on TV during the Monday Night War without a contract. Uh, do you know if if Rick Rude crossed your radar? Maybe his relationship with Kurt Henning? Or was it only after the Montreal screw job that his circumstance? was brought to your attention.
1: Oh, Rick, Rick, I worked with Rick in WCW. Yes. And I, I, and I knew Rick before I even got into the wrestling business.
0: So, but did uh, you know Rick, he was working without a contract? That's what I'm trying to drop out. Oh
1: no, I, I'm sorry. I misunderstood you. Um, No, I wasn't. I didn't know what his, he was just there. I just knew he was there and I didn't know if he had a contract, didn't have a contract and giving it any thought to be honest.
0: It's also reported that Rick Martell came in and, uh, he talked about bringing a young Don Callis in as a tag team, but he was told that WCW is not interested in any more tag teams. So we know that Rick does wind up making his debut either in late 97 or early 98, but it's fun to think about Don Callis. Maybe he could have been a part of this. Instead. We know he winds up being on WWE programming as part of the truth commission. And, uh, I think Bret Hart helped had a hand in bringing him in and well, it didn't go exactly according to plan these days. He's on a W do you remember meeting Don Callis way back when or not so much?
1: Oh yeah. No, I, I, I don't remember meeting him. Um, I may have, but I had, uh, quite a few conversations with Don when Brian Badal and I were, um, attempting to buy WCW and mm-hmm. after we had a, a, a deal memo in place to purchase WCW. I had actually had some conversations with Don, um, and Joey styles. I was going to bring those two in as my color and play by play team.
0: Here in 97 though, as a, as an in-ring performer, any recollection of that? No,
1: zero. Okay. Zero.
0: Scott Hall and Randy Savage are out after the clash. DDP is the newest member of the NWO after he hit Luger with the diamond cutter accidentally. And Savage gets a great line in here. I didn't vote for Paige, but the NWO needed a weak link. So it's cool. Savage is Savage. And of course, Savage says, uh, he's out next just to say he needs to clear up everything with Lex Luger. Just to add some context here. The other channel is featuring a story that's really bubbling to the surface in the, the wake of SummerSlam 97. Steve Austin was dumped on his head by Owen Hart. Clearly it's an accident. Clearly it's not intentional, but clearly Steve Austin's life and career will never be the same again. And this is a guy who had started to catch fire here in, in 1997. I guess it started maybe the year prior. We'll call it the fall of 96, but he's basically had one year of big success with the WWF, not world title success, just now winning the intercontinental title, but certainly moving his way up. He's won the king of the ring. He's got some momentum. He's had some big pay-per-view matches with Bret Hart that people really took notice of, but it's a guy that you fired. And allegedly you fired because as the rumor and innuendo goes, you thought maybe he was injury prone. So when you see that he's hurt here, just like he had been with you, did you feel justified maybe in thinking, "Ah, I knew he couldn't do it or some shit like that? Nah, I didn't think about, I, I, I don't, I don't think that way anyway. Right. It's not my nature.
1: Um, I I, I didn't think anything about it, to be honest. It didn't mm-hmm. register on my radar in any way, shape, or form. And I and I didn't fire Steve because he was injury prone. I fired Steve because I tried to have him show up for television. I knew he was in town and he didn't want to do it. That's a the, 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 it's kind of hard for me to come back from that one. Yeah. That's That's, it is what it is. And that's why I I fired him via FedEx. I I didn't fire people for injuries or being injury prone, found ways to work around that as best we could. I fired Steve because he didn't want to show up and do a TV that he was perfectly capable. of.
0: And these days, of course, you guys are on much better terms. So good. In fact, you might invite him over to the house, fire up the rec tech and blow his mind. We're big fans of RecTech here on this program. Sincerely, I've got one in my backyard, and so does Eric. And they are there because they're the best at what they do. I have to admit, I had a different type of wood pellet smoker before I had a RecTech. Not anymore. Gave it away. Didn't sell it, gave it away. Mm-hmm. Just come take it. It's free to a good home. I've got a RecTech. This is an amazing company that offers wood pellet grills fueled by all natural hardwood pellets. They've got everything else you could want to coolers, apparel, grill accessories, and more, but the grills are where it's at. They started just three 99, but they've got a grill for every lifestyle and every budget. If you're a competitive griller, they got one for you. If you're just getting started and want to just learn about things, and maybe it's just you and the wife, they got a grill for you. They got a key focus on flavor, convenience, and versatility, but I love their model. They offer factory direct pricing that eliminates the middleman saves you some money. And they also ship all their grills for free. Plus, all these Rectech pellet grills are made with high-quality stainless steel. They truly are built to last a lifetime. I know that because I held them side by side, my old grill and the new one, the Rectech buddy. There's no comparison. I'm talking about Rectech's flagship model, the RT 700. It comes with a 40-pound pellet hopper. It's got 702 square inches of cooking space, the PID Wi-Fi controller, and it's also got a six-year bumper-to-bumper warranty. You can bake, smoke, sear, grill, even dehydrate on the grill, all with the push of a button. And that's why those in the know choose Rectech. Guys, they really make this guesswork eliminated. I don't know another way to say it. Like I had another name grill that's not a pellet smoker, but it is one that you hear people talk about a lot with charcoal. But I'll be honest, my wife was intimidated by it. Anytime we were going to have something that was outdoor grilling involved, I had to do it. She'd take care of the sides, but the meats were up to me because she was overwhelmed. Not only was it messy, not only was it dirty, it was complicated. And I convinced myself for a long time it was a rite of passage. You're supposed to stay up all freaking night with this thing and monitor it and (laughs) make sure. And then I get one of these dudes and it comes (laughs) with a probe. You put in your meat and you sink it to your phone And I'm farting in the couch in here, making sure my meat's off at the exact right time. No monitoring it, no back and forth, no checking it. Hey, I need to up the temperature. Use my phone. I need to lower the temperature. Use my phone. The wife's fussing at me to start supper. Use my phone to start the grill. I couldn't do this before. The convenience of this has changed our life. We still grill out four or five nights a week, but now it's not just on me. A lot of times I'll be in here recording with you. And when I finish up and go in the other room, She's got supper cooked, including a whole bunch of stuff off the grill because she's got it down pat and it tastes fantastic. So it's time to toss aside that tasteless gas grill, Jim Ross. It's time to let go of that messy charcoal grill. I did. And even throw out that overhyped brand name grill. I gave mine away sincerely. No cash, just come get it. Because I joined an elite wood pellet grilling family by focusing on flavor, convenience, and versatility. Rectech truly has set the new standard in grilling. So, we want you to visit rectech.com. That's R E C T E Q and use the code BISHAL5 to get 5% off site wide. That's 5% off their top notch wood pellet grills, their one of a kind rectech icer coolers, their chef tested rubs and sauces, their accessories, their merchandise. Everything is 5% off at rectech.com when you use the promo code BISHAL5. That's R E C T E Q.com. Can't say enough good things about rectech, can we, dude?
1: First of all, no, there's no way we can say enough good things about Rectech. but I need to dig into this Jr. using a gas grill
0: thing. Well, here's the thing. In fairness, he lives on, he's got a condo or he can't have a regular grill on his back porch. So he's using like a George Foreman at the beach. And I, I wanted to dunk on him for that, but he, he kind of can't. It's the law there. So I Okay.
1: It. All right. We're going to let him go. But th- those of you who are using, um,
0: a gas grill. Shame on yourself.
1: And and you 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 tell your friends, come on over. I'm going to grill tonight. You're not grilling on a gas grill. No, you're you're pretending to be grilled. It's cosplay grilling. Yeah. All right, it's cosplay. So get out there, your
0: gas grill, is. and whenever you hit your igniter, just slap your leg. You dumbass.
1: Oh, there you go. There you go. And dress up like a chef. You know, because you want to look the part. Yeah. But your food is not going to taste. Anything like the way you want it to taste, right? And you can't control a gas grill the way you could control a Rectech. Get there's one. No possible. Get one. Get they one. Don't even wait. And Get listen, one. There's a, look, these are the Cadillac of grills. There's no denying that. Yeah. But they've got a grill for every budget. Yes. You don't have to go out and buy the most expensive one. Yes. You can work your way up to that.
0: If you hey. need it. I mean, here's the thing. You might get it and realize this is all I need for me and my wife. Cause exactly. by the way, it's still going to be great. I mean, sincerely, just go look recteq.com. You're going to love it. I, I've got everybody at the office using one of these, you know, I'm remodeling over at the lake, Eric. They've even got one now that looks like a built-in. So it looks like a gas grill, but it's not, it's much better. It's much more powerful. It's much more flavorful. They got something for everybody. Sincerely. You want to be a competition griller? They got you covered. But I'm telling you, you're going to love it. Check it out right now. recteq.com. That's recteq.com. You're going to love it. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eligible items. Only exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Uh Next up. I want to mention we're just two weeks removed from the hundredth nitro, which was the first ever three hour show where Lex Luger won the world title. And it was so successful. You just had to know they're going to start making you do three hour shows, right?
1: Yeah. I hated that.
0: Yeah. That wasn't my
1: decision. But Turner broadcasting, not Ted. Uh, and it may about a Ted decision for all I know. Ted was really excited about Nitro. How could you not be? I mean, huh? How could you not be? You got to. Oh, well, I think especially, I mean, everybody was excited about it, but I think Ted in particular, because Ted, everybody that worked for Ted, you know, from Terry McGurk, who was really Ted's, right-hand man have been with Ted since way back in Techwood. I think Terry McGurk was actually first came to Turner Broadcasting as a maintenance guy. He was painting walls or some story like that. But Terry McGurk was a very sophisticated guy and, and Ted relied upon him for a lot of very important decisions as Turner Broadcasting was growing. But even as close as Terry McGurk and Ted were in many respects, Um, Terry McGurk was one of those guys that just wanted to pull, just didn't want WCW around from the very beginning, you know, they were against it from the very beginning and, um, Ted stuck with it, stuck with it. You know, it's legendary. Don't need to beat it to death here. But I think because of Ted's determination and belief in WCW and really belief in wrestling, professional wrestling as an entertainment property, that's what he believed in. Um, I think he felt vindicated. It's like, I told all you sons of bitches, I told you. Oh, you doubted me. I told you we could do it. I think there was, because I had that, I would have those conversations with Ted every Tuesday afternoon when the ratings came out. Ted Turner would call me. It was all like clockwork. The ratings came out about 3.30 in the afternoon, 4.30. I'd get a call about 10 minutes later. As soon as the ratings came across my desk, I would sit down and i go, okay, Ted's going to be calling. And he did for a long time. Him and Brad Siegel both. And uh, it was fun. And I could, st- I could, you could feel the sense of pride that went beyond
0: financial success. How rewarding was that?
1: Not a look- highlight, you know, just to be able to, cause I don't think about it, you know, unless it's a conversation like this. And I didn't appreciate it as much. I mean, I appreciated it. Don't get me wrong. Your boss is calling you and telling you you're doing a great job. Oh, by the way, and your boss is Ted Turner. Yeah. (laughs) The most successful media moguls in the world on the planet at that time. Yeah. But now I appreciate it even more, you know, like, because it's different. I just, yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: My point was, a lot of times employers, and I'm guilty of this, we think, hey, man, the best way to reward your people is was, was with a big old paycheck and, uh, and show them that you love them and appreciate them in their paycheck. And that's certainly true. But boy, an attaboy goes a long way, does it not?
1: It It does especially when it's meaningful yes. you know, when, when, when it's real and it's not just a perfunctory, you know, I'm the manager, I need to interact and say something positive, you know, when people are being sincere, yes. you feel it when they're being sincere. And Ted was like a giddy high school kid. That's how I knew he was sincere. Cause he was like more giddy than I was. I was pretty fucking giddy. <laughs> it was fun.
0: Jimmy Hart is not on TV here with the faces of fear and uh, Meltzer writes about it and says that you made the decision to take him off TV. Did you feel like at this point, his contributions were more valuable behind the camera? Did you think he was kind of old hat in the way he did his wrestling character in this NWO era? What's the thinking there?
1: A little bit of everything. Um, there was just too much Jimmy on TV and Jimmy's, Jimmy's as old school Southern wrestling as you can get Yes, it's to his core. Probably even more so than Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett combined. And Jimmy's instincts were developed over decades of surviving the wrestling business as a manager, which is keep your stuff on TV as much as you can. Yes. You see a red light, run towards it. Go to the light, young man, especially if it's red. But as a result, Jimmy, just he was everywhere, just everywhere. And it was, it got to me. It just, I enough. And Jimmy was very valuable behind the scenes. In my opinion, way more valuable behind the scenes than he was. And in fact, letting him go on camera was more of a reward For the hard work he did behind the scenes, than it was. Boy, we really need to put Jimmy Hart in that spot. There was none of those conversations, but it was important to Jimmy, and it was almost like part of the compensation deal. Yeah, I'll put him on TV, but what I really want is what he delivers behind the scenes. But by by that point, I had I just I'd had enough.
0: It's also reported in the Observer that Kevin Sullivan is due to return. And share the booking duties with Terry Taylor, starting with this show. Why did you think it was necessary for Kevin to return? Was Kevin better with the bigger stars compared to Terry? Did they both have their own sets of strengths and weaknesses? Talk to us about that.
1: No, it wasn't that Kevin was better with bigger stars. Um, they just each had different skill sets and they were complementary. um, Kevin, I liked for that big heat, big angles, a lot of heat, heat finishes. Terry, in my opinion, I liked Terry's approach to psychology more often than I liked Kevin's approach to psychology, unless it had to do with getting heat. That makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I thought the balance of the two would might produce the best result. I had look, I had issues with Terry Taylor, and some of those just the way you know Terry operated and carried himself. Um, but I will tell you this man, when it came to psychology and storytelling of the people that I worked with in the creative side of things, Terry Taylor was. Really good. Same, you know, I experienced the same thing in TNA. You know, when you got, when Terry was in that lane, which is story, psychology, character development, when once he fully, not partially engaged, like, and there's a difference, you know, guys that some people that are involved in the creative process, you know, they'll contribute what they feel they need to or enough to keep their job but they don't really dig in. That was my experience. I, I, I don't know what happens out there now. And Terry was one of those guys. He would do what he felt like he needed to do to, you know, keep that position, be a part of the team, be productive, positive. But occasionally he would find a groove and he'd really dig in. Either it was because of an idea that he was passionate about or an opportunity, whatever. When he, when Terry Taylor fully engaged and didn't allow himself to be distracted with bright, shiny objects, that's the best way I can say that. Terry Taylor was as good as anybody and better than almost 90% of them when it came to storytelling and psychology and character. The conflict was the bright, shiny objects, which tended to get in the way. But I thought, man, with him and Kevin working together, hey, maybe best of both worlds. This could be good.
0: I don't mean for this to sound uh, negative or whatever, but was, do you think that distract the ability to distract Kevin, Kevin, Terry Terry Taylor could be summed up in lack of maturity at the time? Like he, I mean, like, I don't think we hear that same sort of, sort of talk with him today is what I'm getting to.
1: No, 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 no. You know, it's funny. I had a conversation. Terry Taylor called me about six months ago, just out of the blue. Wow. I had a great conversation with Terry. And I can tell you, it and it was mature, of course. Look, I'm a lot different person than I was 25 years ago. It's Fair. I'm, yeah, I'm more mature, which is kind of weird, right? Because 25 years ago, how old was I? 42? You know, By 42, you should be pretty mature, but guess what? You're still evolving even into your 40s, or I was 40s and into my 50s. I'm different now than I was then, and Terry was too. But there were other things going on in Terry's life that probably contributed to his attraction to bright, shiny objects. Um, you never know. It doesn't matter. He's a good dude. He was very talented then, and I'm sure he's very talented now, but he got in his own way as did Kevin Sullivan from time to time for different issues. Not so much bright, shiny objects, but (laughs) other things.
0: (laughs) So you just, I I don't know why, but I love in wrestling. We just have codes, you know, like some guys liked girls. Some guys likes drugs. It is what it is. We have different code words for different things, but you know what the fuck we're talking about. And The result is everybody, uh, listen, we've kind of been unfair as a, as a podcast network to Terry Taylor at times, because there's just so many fun Terry Taylor stories out there, but I want to just make sure everybody understands those are old Terry Taylor stories. It's not present day, Terry Taylor. So where Bruce may bust Terry's balls about something that happened in 1988. Y'all that was 34 years ago. Like, yeah. And by the way, Bruce, if we want to bust up 19,
1: 1988 and start making fun of people for stupid shit, they did
0: plenty of that to go around. Bubba. Yeah. This is your life. Bruce Pritchard, plenty of that to go around. Dishoff,
1: Yeah, anybody else,
0: everybody. I just want to add context to sometimes when we're saying these things, cause I know we'll get quoted and clipped up and all that, but we're not saying this is the folks today, you know, that people get better, man. Or at least I hope we do. Um, Anyway, let's move on. Let's keep going here. Let's talk about the big promo. The reason we're here. I think, uh, everybody knows what an emotional interview and segment. This was not only for Arn Anderson, but for Ric Flair, you see Ric Flair openly weeping. And as the legend goes, when they come back through the curtain, sting was like near tears and said, it was, you know one of the most amazing things he'd ever seen. And Ric Flair would say, because it was real. And we're talking about the promo where Arn effectively retires. He's had an injury looming for a while. He knew this was going to be coming. And then somehow it became one of the more beloved segments in nitro history. I feel like this is probably not something where we go to Arn and say, okay, here's this sheet of paper. Just go read this. I don't think that's how this went down. What do you remember about the decision to let Arn go, tell his story here and play it out with this angle with Kurt?
1: You know, I, I really wasn't that involved with it. Um, that would have been Kevin and Arn and Rick. Um, they would have worked it out. Uh, so I I, 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 I don't think I would have other than approving it, you know, or, and when I say approve it, it was probably a conversation because you're right. You know, on a format, it would have had. You know, Four Horsemen, Gene Oakland, promo here, not knowing what the promo was going to end up being. Right. Well, that would come at vis a vis a conversation, um, but not a full blown script that needed to be approved. So I, they probably ran up by me and I probably said, it's Arn Anderson, it's Ric Flair, it's cool. Whatever they're going to do, it's going to be good. That's how good Arn was and how good Rick was. Never had to think too much or approve too much when it, when those guys had a microphone. So I, I really wasn't that involved with the process of it.
0: Well, it's clearly um, something that's not acted out, it's not played out. These are real emotions, and it's an important promo. Meltzer would have this to say perhaps it was only fitting the official announcement on 825 of the end of the wrestling career of Arn Anderson was largely an angle to help get someone else. In this case, Kurt handing over because in many ways, that was the story of his career. Anderson born Martin Lundy in one of the best interviews of this or any other year announced on the live WCW nitro from Columbia, South Carolina, that he recognized he had nothing left to give due to neck injuries and he wouldn't be coming back. This announcement was confirmation of what nearly everyone had suspected since he had major neck surgery a few months back which resulted in the strength in one of his hands being so weak. He couldn't even button his own shirt. Anderson received an incredible standing ovation that overwhelmed even the reaction to sting earlier in the show when he showed up on camera for the first time since his operation before fans and his old stomping grounds and the fans who reacted that way had no idea what he was going to be there for while his longtime partner, Ric Flair was in the background fighting hard to hold back tears. Anderson labeled himself as an average wrestler with average skill, average size, average speed. Who achieved success through a lot of hard work, although at his peak, Anderson was considered among the best workers in the world. He always low keyed his particular talents and would refer to himself as a solid journeyman wrestler, just amazing stuff. The promo, the segment, the way Arn presents himself. I mean, I wish there were more Arn Anderson's in wrestling. This was fantastic stuff. Was it not?
1: It was. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I watched the show this morning, prepping for this podcast, uh, I watched that promo and I got tears in my eyes. It's about 20 some odd years later. Yep. I mean, fucking amazing. Really. And Rick's right. You know, it's, it was amazing. First of all, Arn can deliver just about any promo he wants and make it sound believable, whether it is or isn't. But when it is believable and it is true, and a a guy with Arnie Anderson's ability to connect to the audience tells that story, it's magic, you know, and not a lot of people can do that. Very few. And Arn did it so well. Didn't rehearse it. I'm guessing he knew what he was going to say. Yeah, didn't he? Didn't prep. I'm sure Rick didn't know what he was going to say, but that's just how good Earn was.
0: Go out of your way to see it. I'm sure we got it linked up on uh, social media, and it's crazy because this is such a major segment. You know, not this spot, not that spot. Blah blah blah. All the parodied stuff, but my spot because you know. From the beginning of the Horsemen, there had been people rotating in and out. First, it was Ole that was out, and then it was Tully that was out, and along the way, Barry was in, and Luger was in, and Sting was in, and what do you know? Eventually, Pillman and Benoit and Malenko and Mongo and Paul Roma and Sid, and all these folks are in and out. The two constants you can't even mention
1: Jeff Jarrett's name because you know better.
0: I know it's on. That was settled uh, at the end of July in Nashville. Uh, the uh, The reality is. It was always Rick, Arn, and two others. And now that Arn is out, I mean he really was the backbone of this thing. It's a it's a big segment and it felt cool and it felt special. And we pissed it off a week later. No, we didn't. We're gonna talk about that. But first we didn't. Oh okay. Before we get there though, I want to talk a little bit about Steve Regal. He got himself in a little bit of trouble as an incident in the Observer. And again, I hate talking about these things because these are folks that we think a lot of and care a lot about, but this is not William Regal today. This is 25 years ago or whatever it is on a flight from, uh, Japan. He's flying home from Tokyo and they have to make an emergency landing in Alaska to kick him and buff Bagwell and Scott Norton off the plane. Now. Bagwell will contend. And it seems as if this was accurate, uh, this was just guilt by association because they were together. But regal had a disturbance. That wasn't going to be a major blemish on his professional career. and certainly WCW. And this thing would rock on for a few weeks. At first, they just said it was, there was a disturbance. And then later it came out that maybe he had over-medicated and perhaps unknowingly thought he was in the bathroom and urinated on a flight attendant just out of it. And this is obviously where Steve is in a bad way in his addiction. And he wrote about this a lot in his book, which is a fantastic read. If you're looking for a book to read and you've already finished Brian's new book, uh, and by the way, that's still one of the best wrestling books ever. Uh, there's only one problem or there's just one problem. And that's Brian Grewitt's new book. You should check it out. Anyway, Steve Regal's book is fantastic. And he documents all of this. But I'm sure this is the last fucking thing in the world you want to hear about when you're out here, basically firing Waltman for someone exposing their butt cheeks on TV. And now here's Mr. Regal whizzing in public. That ain't good. How do you hear about this? Probably
1: Janie angle would have been the one that brought it to my attention that was really unfortunate because I, I I really enjoyed working with Steve at that time. Um, didn't same situation. Didn't want to have to do it, but at a certain point, you know, you have to look like your hands are actually on the wheel, mm-hmm. and you're in control of the vehicle. Just had to make a decision I had to make. But yeah, I would have heard about it through Janie. It's funny. Steve and I just had a conversation yesterday. He called because he was trying to get some timeline straight. And we are talking about this particular incident. And I, I want to make it really clear. You know, nobody has taken more responsibility yep. for Steve's actions than Steve or William Regal has. Mm-hmm. He's really, he, he's a man. He is a man's man. And he accepts full responsibility for what he did and is aware of it and changed his life as a result of it. And has had a tremendous career, and I think he's, he's one of the people that I have the most respect for in the wrestling business that I've ever worked with. He's just an amazing guy. And listen to his podcast. Yes. I mean, he, he deals with this stuff head-on, doesn't sugarcoat anything, takes full responsibility for all of the good and all of the bad that comes along with the life and the world of professional wrestling. It's a fascinating, fascinating individual.
0: Go out of your way to check it out. It's Gentleman, Villain, anywhere you enjoy podcasts. I know I think a lot of it. I know Eric does too. Uh, and it's an, an unfortunate moment in his career, but it, it happened and he's comfortable talking about it. And by the way, his story is a success story. It has a, a more than happy ending. I mean, you can see him. He's one of my, he's one of the bright spots on wrestling TV every week for me. Uh, every time he comes on the screen, you know, you're going to get your money's worth. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Ray Mysterio here with Mean Gene, and he's still healing up with his knee, and Conan interrupts him, and it looks like the giant's going to make the save. This could have been fun. Ray Mysterio and the giant as a tag team. I don't know. That seems like a missed Why didn't we do that? Could have been fucking awesome. Can you
1: imagine how much fun that could be? Yes. Can you imagine some of those matches? That would have been so much fun. And if, you know, especially if it would have lasted for a long time, because Ray, you know, he's such an innovator and capable of doing so much. I mean, can you imagine some of the spots that they would have come up with playing off their size discrepancy? Oh,
0: my God. I can't believe we didn't do that.
1: Where were you when I needed you?
0: Conrad? Hey, let's talk about you right here now in in 1997 you're doing commentary for the second hour on the show Mm. and you're going to spend a lot of the show bickering with tony Schiavone. and lord knows i get that i mean lois does it for a living uh was that the right call in hindsight to put yourself in a commentary spot here when you're also one of the lead heels and you're also wearing a lot of hats. I mean, here's what I, I can't help, but wonder about behind the scenes. It has to just be chaos. We've just heard that a lot of times live TV, not nitro in particular, just live wrestling is chaos. It feels like a lot of times they need somebody to make a call or make a decision, but now you're out here trying to do commentary too. Like this feels like a tough position for you to be in dude. So two questions.
1: One was was it the right call in hindsight? No, I don't think so. Uh, it was too much of me, kind of like Jimmy Hart in a way, right? Right? You know, just overexposed. Wasn't necessary. Um, so I think it was the wrong call in hindsight. As far as it being, it wasn't because it was too hard to wear all those hats. I mean, it was challenging. Don't get me wrong but it wasn't like I had to be a part of every decision that was made backstage. And by the way, I've never, for better or worse, I don't know what, obviously I've, I've had enough misses in my professional career um, that I can call on when I make this statement, but I've, I've always been a macro manager. I've always believed hire the right people, Give them the ability to fail or succeed without a lot of interference. Keep the ones that succeed more than the ones that fail and keep moving forward. I've never micromanaged anybody, anybody. Um, So there were, you know, Craig Leathers didn't need me around for Craig Leathers to make great decisions. David Crockett didn't need me by his side to make good decisions. A lot of the key people that I had around me, once the television show started, I could have evaporated from the face of the earth, and the show would have gone on just fine. Got it. So it, that part of it wasn't a challenge, but I think or, or wasn't a mistake. The mistake was the, in the overexposure and just forcing that character down people's throat even more. A, it wasn't necessary. It probably, probably detracted from the character more than it helped.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about Alex Wright and Dean Malenko. They're up next for the TV title. And when they're, when they're doing this, you're going to go on a rant about how the audience is quote, tired of people trying to cram the same old crap down their throats. You're referring to the WWF, but you're living your best life out here. Just shitting on these guys every chance you get. Right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because because it worked too. No, I mean, yeah, it was fun, but yeah, it worked. So I was, I was having a blast.
0: I want to mention the, uh, Monday night raw program is now going to be running from nine to 11 Eastern time. So eight to 10 central and nitro decides to combat that by having the replay start as soon as the show ends. So, Hey, if you want to watch wrestling, don't you dare change the channel. We still got some here. Uh, I want to mention too, Steve Carell and ECW says the Raven, Stevie Richards lawsuit that you and Paul Heyman were involved in also included a, a dinner at a steakhouse with you and Paul Heyman in Orlando. And that's where you were personally shown Raven's contract. Do you remember having dinner with Paul Heyman and seeing Raven's contract in real life?
1: I remember having dinner with Paul. I, I don't remember seeing the contract, although it may have happened. I just, I mean. I do remember having dinner with Paul, but I do not remember. I don't even remember talking about Raven. Probably did, but I I don't remember seeing the contract and it wouldn't have mattered. It was Paul Heyman for God's sake. Does anybody think that Paul Heyman at that time was above signing somebody else or forging somebody's name to a contract to prove a point? I don't. I love Paul Heyman, by the way. He's one of my favorite people and we, we, we stay in touch. Um, but (laughs) (laughs) I heard it coming a mile away, but he was about, he was about as sleazy as any sleazy wrestling promoter I've ever met at that time.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Meaning he would do what he had to do. All right. Sleazy is not the right word. He would do whatever he had to do. And he would justify it in a way that he felt perfectly comfortable with whatever decision he made or statement he made because he could justify it in his mind.
0: There's a word the kids use these days, Eric. It's called finesse. And Paul Heyman was the first, one of the first, maybe the most prolific finesser.
1: Does that mean the same as
0: bullshit? No, it means he's a manipulator. He manipulates to make sure he, uh, he wins. was a
1: master at that. Man. He, he comes up manipulated, out. but that's a, but that's a compliment. It he, is. He manipulated the audience. He manipulated the roster. He did. He,
0: he did a great job. He won. That's what manipulation is. Big about. time. <laughs> and and listen, he's
1: still winning big time.
0: You don't have to uh, be a master manipulator to win with car shield. Car shield is who's bringing you this episode and, They make it easy and affordable to protect my car from expensive repairs. And that's just for starters. CarShield is the number one auto protection company in the United States, and they offer protection plans for around a hundred bucks a month. The plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. And let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic and CarShield's administrators handle the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with paperwork or headaches you're taking care of. Same goes if your car breaks down or if you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost, too. You'll get coverage today, and you'll lock in a price now, and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising costs of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield helps protect my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they can do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. So let's talk about what's coming here. You know it's going to be the Thursday night show. The observer says world championship wrestling is expected to officially announce shortly. The addition of a second two hour weekly live TV show starting at 8 PM on Thursday nights with the kickoff date planned for January on TBS. The show had been in the talking stages for months. At one point, it appeared to have been a definite as TBS and its own ratings war with USA Nickelodeon and sister station. TNT are all battling for the top spot in cable. They wanted the kind of weekly boost TNT has gotten from their wrestling show. With the money figure offered by TBS for the show believed to be about 12 million for the year substantial enough to ensure the company is being easily and majorly profitable, despite its huge talent costs, which will likely be increasing at first, it appeared to be an easy decision. However, many in WCW feared the new show in a big way, both from a personal standpoint, because of the increase in workload and the fear of television overexposure prematurely ending the current boom period and talent morale problems from adding 52 more dates per year on the road. Now we've covered the thunder debut in the archives, but my goodness, on a scale of one to 10, how bad did you not want to do this? I was torn dude. I, I I mean, and it was probably,
1: I had to list the decisions or choices that I made in terms of being the, the most significant blunders or poor choices or decisions, this was probably probably number one. That's the truth. Finger poke of doom, all that bullshit aside. Agreeing to do this thunder was one of, if not the most significant choices that led to WCW losing ground in 98 and 99. It was a horrible decision, but here's why I was torn. I knew it was wrong. So did everybody else. So did Brad Siegel. Brad Siegel didn't want me to do that show. Not because he didn't want to, you know, see TBS do well. It wasn't a competitive thing, but Brad knew that it would dilute the audience. It would dilute the product. It would overexpose it. He'd, Brad didn't understand why the same way I did. Brad didn't understand how seeing those same characters that we see on Monday nights is really special. And then seeing them on Thursday, it's gonna, you're going to lose equity in those characters in that story. Brad just believed it was too much wrestling, period. End of conversation. I, I knew it. I saw that problem from an even more detailed perspective. I knew what was going to happen, and I didn't want to do that show. Harvey Schiller did not want to do that show. Red Segal, as I mentioned, did not want to do that show. The only guy that wanted to do the show was a guy by the name of Bill Burke, who was running TBS. He was excited because it was going to prop him up, but everybody else... Didn't want to do that show. Ted wanted to do the show. That was a Ted decision, not not a Harvey Schiller decision, not an Eric Bischoff decision, not a Brent Siegel decision, not even a Bill Burke decision. That was a Ted Turner decision. And I thought as much as I didn't want to do it, and I knew all of the problems it was going. Oh, and by the way, I didn't know during this period of time that in 98 – the budget that was approved in 97 was going to get gutted a few months, a few months into the year after making the decision to go ahead and move forward with TBS, which by the way, I don't know where the $12 million figment of Dave Meltzer's Meltzer's imagination came from, but there was no money on the table.
0: Mm.
1: I had to pay for the show.
0: Mm.
1: Imagine Tony Khan having to pay for the show to put on TBS that we see. On Wednesday nights, he did it first. Yeah, he did. That's called the buy on, and they very, very rarely work. By the way, there's no math to support it. Now, if it's a strategy to eventually get you to a license fee, that obviously in Tony's case it worked really well. But for the most part, when you have to pay to put your television show on the air, it's going to die. But that's that's what we're faced with. And my decision was, do I? Because I was the only person that could say no. I, I imagine Harvey Schiller could have said no. But Harvey Schiller did not want to tell Ted Turner, no. Nobody did. Nobody did. So guess whose shoulders that fell on? That'd be you. And I didn't want to tell Ted Turner, no, either. Not because I was afraid of him. Not because I was afraid I was going to get fired. I, I didn't want to disappoint him. Right. Ted had showed so much loyalty, support in every way possible to WCW, and we were now benefiting from that. I didn't want to be the guy to sit down across from Ted and say, no, we can't do this. And that's another thing, just as part of my nature. I don't believe there's anything I can't do. If I'm really committed to it and I want it, I will find a way to do it. And that's the part of me is what prevailed. And Bill Burke didn't want to. Bill Burke didn't have the money for the show in his budget. He couldn't pay for it. Ted Turner said, I don't know. I don't care who's paying for it. Somebody pay for it. I want the show on the air. Those were, that was really the mandate. I don't care who pays for it. Just get it done. I wanted to be the hero. I wanted to deliver for Ted again, the same way I delivered for Nitro. And I didn't want to say no. So I said, yes, I'll do it. Damn it. I can do anything. He'll- I'll do it. And I agreed to pay for it. We agreed to do the show. I had already had a pretty good idea of how I wanted to separate the two shows. I had enough money in my budget at that time to bring in the talent I wanted to bring, Red Hart. I had a plan. But it was ultimately, I think, the worst thing that ever happened to WCW was thunder.
0: But all the indicators would tell you, man, we got the golden touch here. Let's just talk about year-over-year growth. We've all acknowledged that 95 is the first time WCW ever turned a profit 96. Not only are they turning a profit, they're the number one company in the world, 97, more of the same, but to an alarming degree, your average attendance in July of 96, 3,200 fans, your average attendance in July of 97, 5,346. We're up 67% in attendance. With that, the gate goes up too, but since we're hot, we can charge more for tickets. So in July of 96, we were making $39,800 a show. Now we're making $85,427. We're up 114%. And
1: by what, by the way, these are this, these, these numbers average in non-televised live events. Yes. Right. AEW is not even doing non-televised live events. Correct. Right wwe at that time they were probably doing more live events than us but i would imagine their revenues were probably not quite where where ours were at that time
0: let me mention too just so everybody knows from a uh, an average just inflation adjustment blah 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 eighty five here is about 160 grand today so not bad Uh, you're selling, you went from selling out 11% of your house shows in July 96 to a third of your house shows in 97. All the indicators are that business is a booming. Even Bash at the Beach 96, where Hulk Hogan turned heel, you he did 2.23 in uh, pay-per-view revenue. Here, you've got 2.79 in pay-per-view revenue. Your gate for that show, by the way, 72000 Your gate for this show, 150000 Just overall, wow. man... You guys are hitting home runs, but it does feel like once you saw thunder, that may have been the iceberg. Let's, uh, let's jump around And this in the end of the episode, uh, but we do want to do some questions just about this particular episode of nitro. Adam Leeson says, do you think Eric, uh, did Eric think the horseman should have gotten some sort of revenge on the NWO for Arn? If there wasn't a pay-per-view every month, does Eric believe Kurt's turn could have been a more long-term story? Let's pause on the whole horseman revenge thing and, and, and talk about the Kurt thing. Could that story have been a little longer or is the pressure to have a pay-per-view every month, sort of speed that process up?
1: I, no, I don't think it was the pressure. I think it was, we were in a rhythm. Could that story with Kurt I'm, I'm interpreting that as could we have extended that story? Yes. Over a longer period of time, yes. and maybe added some depth to it. Yes. I think that's an that's a good question. And arguably, we could have. Do I think it would have mattered? I really don't. Yeah. I, I I don't think building that story, putting any more meat on the bone than there already was, would have made any difference. So I don't I don't think it was a bad decision.
0: Let's also mention too. I know this isn't what we want to talk about, but. I believe this is the era where Mr. Flair was going to have some elective surgery done on his face. So if that's going to happen and we know when it's going to happen and we can turn it into an angle, why not? Exactly. Um another question here, this one from Yambag Jones. Do you think Arn Flair and others took the My Spot promo too seriously or were the outsiders that big a douchebags for mocking it so heavily? Now, in the moment, you may have had one answer as a guy who watched it this morning and admitted that he teared up. Do you feel differently? I do
1: feel differently. I mean, this is story. This is a television series. This yeah. is episodic television. Yes. And the drama that is a part of the wrestling formula is a significant part of the formula. As a five star hurricane rod off the top rope, the drama is everything. Without drama, without emotion, nothing that happens physically means fuck all. The drama in the story is everything. And as real as that story was, and it was real, and that was a real. Look, even, even saying this, you know, because I have a lot of respect for Arn Anderson. We're not friends. I mean, we're, we're, we're friendly, but, you know. I don't hang out. We don't hang out. But it doesn't mean I don't have a ton of respect for him. Correct. I mean, not even like him, but I still have a ton of respect for him. And by the way, I don't dislike Arn. but I'm There's, trying to make a point. Yeah. Um. But when you step into that ring and you make a part of your life, a part of the story. Nobody put a gun to his head. That's right. But when you step into that ring and you willingly make your story, your, your life and what's going on in your life, a part of a story that's going to advance business, then you do. And that's what Arn did. And do, do I feel bad that the NWO came back and mocked him? Absolutely not. i Will say that I'm disappointed that I didn't do a better job communicating hmm. and making sure that everybody was on the same page and wasn't surprised. That was a failure on my part, that was a management failure on my part. As often happens in business and in personal lives, communication is the key to everything, and yeah. I failed from a communications point of view, as a leader in that particular situation. I wish I would have done a better job, but I wouldn't have changed my mind. I'm jumping. I don't want to take it back. I just wish I could have done it better.
0: Jumping way ahead here. I want to talk about, we'll hold it. Two Cal Kyle says, Hey, Eric, who was the MVP of the cruiserweight division? In your opinion, seeing the names of, in today's context is crazy knowing where their careers would ascend, but around this time. So September 97, who was your blue chipper? Got to pick one guy.
1: One. That's so hard. I mean, look, who's the face of the cruiserweight division today? Rey Mysterio. So if I had to I mean, if you could pick one guy who epitomizes the best of the best over the last couple of decades and what the cruiserweight or the luchadors, whatever you want to call them, represented, it's got to be Rey Mysterio. I agree. He's, he is the Mercedes-Benz brand, Mercedes-Benz brand on the amazing vehicle that we call the cruiserweight division
0: no doubt and there were so many good ones holy smokes the next week nitro is in pensacola florida uh it's a show that lasted just over three hours Meltzer would say they had far too many tape features so the show dragged in spots you've got 6,483 fans here 5,648 of them paid 113 thousand dollars and they open the show with a, a well done Aaron Anderson tribute and they replay the interview. And then we see a couple of horsemen, McMichael and Benoit, beat Jarrett and Eddie Guerrero. Henning's going to come out and he doesn't have the same four horsemen hand sign that everybody else is using. Benoit and Eddie are laying it in. Meanwhile, our, our man Double J is running around like he couldn't bust an egg. It's a great match, but McMichael kind of looks out of place here. Malenko helps Jarrett get the wind. It seems like we're building some sort of pseudo horseman angle, but it never really happened because Flair goes away after War Games. And then we see Hall Savage and Elizabeth come out to confront Larry Zabisco. And Zabisco says they must be friends with Hogan because they've got something on their nose. And, uh, of course, Liz is looking pretty roll tied here. She's a shiny object. And, uh,. <laughs> We enjoy Hall talking about Labor Day and sticking it to everyone's boss because they're here instead of working, blah, blah, blah. We get Mortis over Silver King. Um, Larry Zabisco is on commentary saying that he wants to stand up to the NWO and take them out with ease. And Canyon, by the way, here, even though he's not technically a cruiserweight, looks like a million bucks every time he comes out. Was Canyon ahead of his time, do you think?
1: Oh, light years, yeah, light years. What a yeah, well, that's a whole talk for two hours about Canyon. But yeah, so far ahead of his time in so many
0: ways. Great skit on here where J.J. Dillon's going to come out and he's promising to deliver Sting versus Hogan. You are here to tell him hell no. Sting comes out with Hogan with a Hogan T-shirt rather and shoves it in your mouth. Great little segment here, interaction with you and Sting and. The Hogan t shirt. What do you remember about this skit?
1: I was just live, man. It was so much fun. You know what? You, you,
0: you've seen it a
1: million times, though. When you've got, in my case, so the, I'm the heel, I'm talking to Gene. The audience sees Sting coming. So you have all that anticipation and they know something's going to happen. And of course, Sting didn't sprint down there, right? He just milked every second of that. And the longer he milked it, the more it built. And the cool part is when you're me and you can't see it, but you can feel it. And I didn't know how far, you know, I couldn't see. Is he five feet away from me? Is he two feet away from me? Is he 20 feet away from me? So all you can do is feed off the crowd and anticipate when he's going to finally reach over and grab me um, by the intensity of the audience. That's so I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it's so much fun. That's the only thing I miss about the wrestling business are those moments when you're just, you are just out there in front of those people and whether it's on television or not, and they're reacting. Cause they see something going on that you don't see and damn, it's fun. It's really fun. It was a blast. That's what I remember. It was a blast.
0: We got Eugene Nagata painting Dean Malenko here. When Jeff Jarrett interferes, uh, Eugene Nagata still wrestling to this day, uh, which I think is just amazing. Uh, ultimo dragon,
1: sunny or t- sunny ono and Yuji talk all the time all the time when i was over in japan with sunny last couple years ago we went and had lunch with Yuji. he's still the same man
0: go out of your way if you're just looking for a fun match to watch this one's only 437 but ultimo dragon beating la parka by drop kicking a chair into parka's face fantastic match and then after the match dragon's going to put sunny ono in the dragon sleeper uh the, the cruiserweight division was just Clicking on all cylinders, even though I don't know that you could call the park of that, but wow, how entertaining are those two guys together. Uh, Buff Bagwell's out next. He's gonna beat uh Glacier with the uh blockbuster. Even Meltzer would say Bagwell has the presence. I guess they've given up on Glacier. Man, the timing of the Glacier character, we could talk about that to the cows come home, but man, if he was three or four years earlier, it could have been huge, but in this era of quote unquote realness with the NWO, it just did not work. Nope.
1: Bad, bad timing is everything, man. Good or bad timing can be everything.
0: No doubt about it. Next up, we get a Roddy Piper video. Uh, so we know he's on his way back in two weeks. Uh, we get Liz Mark jr. pinning Velano number four. Uh, Meltzer would say, actually he pinned Velano number five, who did the switch at four minutes and 10 seconds. This is great stuff though, because they don't notice it the first time, even the announcers, not one of them. The second time they do the old switcheroo today notices it and has to call attention to uh, Tony Schiavone and Sabisco. And by the way, I don't know if you keep up with this, Eric, but Volano number four is actually in a mask versus mask match for triple A. They got a triple mania coming up in mid October and Volano number four, besides being here on nitro, went on to be a big time legend in Mexico. I think everybody listening to this is familiar with Pentagon junior and what a Hell of a job he's done, not only with Impact and MLW, but certainly of late with AEW. And they're going to be in like their ver- the A version of WrestleMania, mask versus mask. I know you love to see famous luchadors lose their mask. You'll probably be watching that one, right? I'd like to go to it. I'm going it's if fun. you want to go. I'm not even kidding. I've never been to Mexico City, and I want to go to a Triple Mania. If you want to go, absolutely.
1: I'll tag you in on
0: that one. I, I knew when somebody's losing their mask, you can just sign you up. You're in. Absolutely. Just, I, I can't imagine the look on their faces when you're, if, if me and you were lucky enough to walk around backstage, they're going to be like, Oh fuck. What's he doing here? He's going to take our man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really fun stuff here, but you have Raven walk out and, um, we're starting to do, we're, tr- we're trying a little bit where we can to push the Luchadors, but with Lizmar jr. And Velano number four, who for whatever reason, weren't getting a bunch of attention from the announcers. They're almost the backdrop to Raven coming out and people talking about Raven. Next up, Lex Luger is going to do an interview uh, asking DDP to come out. So of course he didn't, but the idea here is Luger and Dallas don't trust each other because Dallas hit Luger with a diamond cutter. So even the announcers thought, well, maybe he's with the NWO, but instead what we're treated to is disco inferno coming out and dancing with the nitro girls and then getting into a shoving match with Alex, Wright goodness gracious so he's back he's got his job back which is good i guess and then he uh helps interfere to uh help alex wright retain his tv title over hugh morris match was not all that great and melzer would say Disco go return because the wwf had no interest in him and he came crawling back to you is that pretty much how you remember it going down i don't
1: and I, i'm I, i'm not calling bullshit i don't know yeah i don't even I, this is the first i've heard that Disco tried to get a job with WWE. So I don't know.
0: Maybe it's true. Well, that know. was in the observer. I don't know that, you know, that should, could have been rumor and innuendo. So sting the crow, the man, these vignettes really helped get him over. Uh, even while he's never speaking, uh, but Stevie Richards would be speaking and he's going to beat Damien in 48 seconds with Raven's DDT. And, uh, that happens all before the match even really starts and, <laughs> Richards tries to uh, deliver the CPR and mouth to mouth routine and doing his old early ECW clueless putz gimmick. I loved this version of Stevie Richards. It wasn't long for WCW. Why don't you think he had more success here? Is it just too much talent on the roster at this point to feature everybody? Or did you just not see it?
1: No, no, I, I saw it. Or I, and I liked Stevie Richards as well. There was a lot of things I liked about him. Um, but it just, it just didn't click. You know, some things look, like they should on paper and you would expect them to. And they just don't um, just whatever, P- perhaps if it would have been pushed harder and a longer commitment would have made, been made and more effort would have been into it, it may have caught in fire, but I just, it wasn't my, my instinct just told me it wasn't going to work with this audience.
0: You must've felt the same way about big Bob as part of the NWO. He's going to come out do an interview and say, my name's Ray trailer. When I was off, I didn't get one card or letter from anyone in the NWO sort of saying he's done with that. He's with WCW now. So he pins Prince Ikea in like three minutes with the Bubba slam and Meltzer would say he's going to be one of the 90 other wrestlers in WCW headed to oblivion. And I could see why he would say that, but at the same point, it's not exactly like he was a featured spot of the NWO either. It's just hard to stand out when you've got this much talent on a roster this deep with these hot stories, right? Yeah. And, and to
1: fairness, the casting process for the NWO didn't exist at that point. Right. It just, which is really too bad because it started out, you know, and started out, I got lucky. Right. Um, but did a good job of casting the NWO and focused on that. And then as it became more successful, lost focus on that. And the casting became less important, and we saw what happened. <laughs> casting is a really important thing, by the way.
0: Let's get to the controversy—the real reason we're here. Uh, Meltzer would say this: This week's major controversy involves the or all's around the skip that Kevin Nash is Arn Anderson, Six is Ric Flair, Marcus Bagwell is Kurt Henning and Conan as Steve McMichael did on Nitro during their imitation of the now famous Arn Anderson interview from one week earlier. As the story goes, the deal was played out ahead of time where they would dedicate the show to Anderson. Then the NWO would make so much fun of him with the combination of the two things, theoretically building up tremendous heat, which is what happened. We got more reaction. Some very positive thinking it was hilarious and some very negative thinking it was in terrible taste, largely depending upon what part of the country people were from and who they grew up watching. Originally the finish of the skit was going to have the horseman run out and totally clean house on the NWO with Anderson watching from the stage area with his arms folded and a big smile on his face. Before the show started, Terry Taylor was told by Eric Bischoff to nix the horseman, comeback and not let them do the run in, which it is believed believe to have come at the suggestion of Nash.
1: I don't believe that later don't in don't the sho- on that
0: <laughs> later in the show, Flair was supposed to instead do an interview. But by this time, Flair was so mad, he refused to go on because he felt by not coming out at the end of the skit, it made the horseman look so bad, there was nothing he could do to salvage the situation. Anderson wasn't as mad immediately after the skit, but was said to be furious later that night, including winding up in a confrontation with Booker Kevin Sullivan after calling home and finding out how upset and mad his wife and 12-year-old son were. Flair was so mad about the portrayal of him Flair wasn't so mad about the portrayal of him, but the betrayal of his best friend who he's been protective of and the mockery of the very serious retirement interview. He did the week before there were even reports that Anderson wound up so mad. He was thinking of quitting the company. Flair's contract expires in February and he hasn't signed an extension. Although the WWF due to the lawsuit against WCW is very leery about doing anything that would look like they were interested in WCW talent right now even though you'd have to think like they would want flair as maybe the only primarily goodwill ambassador, more so than a full-time wrestler. There are also reports that some or all of the behind the scenes controversy was simply Kevin Sullivan, Brian Pillman stuff. Although my impression is that is not the case. Of course, the only sense is if the war games were to turn out to be horsemen versus NWO, which isn't going to be the case. Let's take a timeout right there. We know it is going to wind up being the horseman versus the NWO. So that's inaccurate. We know that the stories out there in the observer that Arn wasn't upset until he called home. And that's what, that's the question I want to ask you about. Kevin Nash alleges that the cooler that he used in the segment belonged to Arn Anderson. (laughs) So he knew the skit and knew what was coming. And Flair would say, we knew all of that. We just thought we were going to kick their ass at the end. And without that, now we're neutered. And I kind of see where Rick's coming from in that regard. And you said, as I was reading through there, I call bullshit. Do you think that was ever in the format? Or are you saying I call bullshit that I, Eric Bischoff cut it? Yes. 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 That you cut it. You're not saying it wasn't ever in there. You're saying you didn't cut it. I'm saying I didn't cut it. I'm saying that report of me
1: going to Terry Taylor and telling him not to do something is a complete fabrication. That's what I'm referring to. As far as the rest of this Michigas, um,
0: as for you, Shuley. Oh, I know who it Dave was for. Green.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Dave Green. Um, as for the rest of it, look, Stories change, people's memories change with it, with time, retelling stories over and over again. People trying to make themselves look better or be the victim or just have an interesting story to tell for time. So I'm I'm not going to get in that muck. I'm I'm not going to try to defend or deny or agree to things that I don't have evidence sitting in front of me to look at because it was 25 fucking years ago, people. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you what I remember or whatever that's worth 25 years later. Um, My recall of this is that everybody did know everybody was in on what was going to happen. What everybody didn't realize is how well it was going to be performed. There you go. How much it was going to hurt. Was there a script where Arn would have had an opportunity to review every word that Kevin or anybody else was going to say? No. Was it discussed? Yes. It wasn't like anybody was blindsided, but I think what happened, my opinion is that skit was so good and so raw. It's a little bit like, you know, agreeing to be a part of a roast And you're going to go up on stage, and everybody knows, yeah, this is going to sting a little, but it fucking stung so bad that people got emotional, and Hmm. their memories have changed accordingly. I get it. I get it. But to suggest that nobody knew what was coming or that there was some alternative finish that was supposed to happen, but because, you know, what happened was so dramatic and everybody got so emotional about it, it was canceled or called off. That's a whole lot of added value to a dirt sheet. And listen, some of the guys involved, you know, here's what I wish. Like I said, I'm going to go back to what I said before. I wish I I would have taken more of a role In making sure knowing that there wasn't a script for everybody to sign off on, I would have taken. I wish I would have taken more active role to make sure everybody was cool, so there would have been no emotion after the fact or hurt feelings after. I I don't think. I I think barring that, or with with the exception of what I didn't do that I should have done, there was nothing wrong with the way that was presented. As long as everybody was on board and they were going in. Now, well, the fact that Aaron called home and his wife was upset, maybe Aaron felt like shit. Maybe I should have been a little more careful with that. That's his responsibility, too. He had the opportunity to say no.
0: Whatever. A lot of guys would say, despite what you just said, Aaron had the opportunity to say no. I think a lot of guys would say, in his spot, Pardon the pun, but in his spot, um, I, I'm saying, pardon the pun. Cause I said spot and I didn't mean to be funny, but I'm just saying in his spot as a, now no longer able to do what he used to do. So he's no longer a wrestler and now he's trying to find his value as an agent. And I don't know the circumstances behind his contract, but me thinking, I know you, I bet you said, ah, eh, we'll just, Keep paying you like you were wrestling, and we'll figure it I out. Told, I told
1: him day. he was fine. I told I wanted him to get the surgery. Yeah, and I told him before he had the surgery, he didn't have to worry about his job. It wasn't that I, I get like, it. Anybody but just, that's worked for me knows it's it's so funny because you get these two you know versions of Eric Bischoff from people that didn't really work for me. Right, with me is one. He's just like this. Couldn't wait to fire people. Evil, self centered, arrogant. Wouldn't listen to anybody. That's one one perspective from people that didn't really work with me, or if they did, they want to paint a different picture. And there's the other picture of Anybody that, you know, whoever talked to me last their idea was best because I was that easily manipulated. I didn't wanted to be friends with everybody. I wanted to hang with the boys, all that. It's two conflicting different people. And I can assure you that the real person was probably somebody in the middle, but Arn didn't have to worry about his job. If Arn didn't, Arn would have come to me and said, Eric, I cannot do this. This, th- I, I cannot, I, I, I can't, I won't, I don't want to be a part of that. It would have worked it out. Just like I did it all the time. Every single fucking Monday. But I listen, was just, I, I hear you working shit out was as big a part of my job as doing anything else.
0: I know that it wound up fine for both of them, but let's not act like this wasn't happening around the same time you fired disco and six. And now this is a guy who all of a sudden has got his value, his entire wrestling career by what he could do in the ring. And now he's got to be thinking about that 12 year old boy at home. And maybe another one on the way. Cause I think Brock was born in 97. Like, dude, I, I need this job. So And he, this is, I'm not buying that, I'm not buying that. I won't
1: accept it. Let's put it that way. Well, let's, um, uh, if he didn't know, he should have known. I'm, again, the guy that went to him to talk him into getting surgery and assured him he was going to have a job. I was not the guy that was going to fire him because he didn't want to, And I would have understood that one. That's the one I can relate to. I would have understood it. Now, if I would have said no, we would have, we would
0: have figured it out.
1: We would have worked it out.
0: Either way, it happened. Uh, Meltzer would say the skit itself was absolutely hilarious in spots, particularly Waltman with the fake oversized nose, the clothes, the tears, and the dancing. And Nash was incredible, but it went on way too long and realistically was so inside and biting since Anderson's mother died very young due to alcoholism that one could see in the former scenario is the real one that's designed by, by Nash to stick it to Anderson. The heat between the horsemen and the NWO is legit to a point that it's silly. Because at the clash on eight twenty one, there was a bomb threat called in in Nashville on the flare match. And Nash was joking after the show that Anderson must've called it in because they wanted management to think people actually cared about flare. And there's a major level of discomfort of late in the dressing room regarding people trying to take credit for all the recent success. And the funny part is the TV ratings are slightly lower for the year as compared to the same period, the previous year before there was such a thing as the NWO but rates aren't all that different and with hot shotting guys like Kevin green, Reggie white, and Dennis Rodman all over the place house business is way up, but the most valuable person when it comes to that is Zane. And the fact that the television show nitro and not any of the individuals has become super hot as a rank and file house shows aren't put together with strong lineups to draw big houses. To begin with the tickets are being sold mainly for the name brand as opposed to any singular individual. So lots of discussion about who, who, what, when, where, why, how, but here's what Rick said about the skip without informing us, the NWO came out and did a spoof of the entire speech. Sean Waltman, who's now joined the group and works as six in WCW was dressed as me in a blonde wig and a false nose, bouncing off the ropes and strutting. Kevin Nash was armed with a bald wig, a fake beer, gut, neck brace and styrofoam cooler. They wore T-shirts depicting the four horsemen as the four jackasses. Arnold described himself as having average size, average speed, average quickness, average looks, average intelligence, average carpentry skills, and despaired that his left arm could no longer open a beer can. Whenever he came town, came to town, he told the crowd he left an unpaid beer tab behind. What was suspicious was that no one scheduled us to run into the ring and get revenge by beating up those guys. Arne's kids watched the show, and they didn't get the joke. They just saw their father being portrayed as some pathetic drunk. With all the political mistrust in WCW, Arne believed the parody was part of a plot to undermine me, and he knocked on Kevin Nash's door later that night. Arne's neck might have been damaged, but it wouldn't have made a difference. He was ready to fight. Kevin had no idea any feelings were hurt. He didn't see it as a personal attack. He just looked at it as a piece of business. It was TV, and he was trying to be entertaining. After talking a while, I got the impression he was telling the truth and I calmed down later on. We found out the whole thing was thought up, not by Kevin Nash or Eric Bischoff or even Hulk Hogan, but by Terry Taylor, one of our supposed good friends. Terry was on the booking committee and just wanted to be humorous. There was no ulterior motive. As for Kevin, he was just doing what he'd been told later when Arn wrote a book that mentioned the incident and the distress it caused his family. Nash contacted him and apologized a second time. I thought that was very classy. So, it is something that people are still hot and bothered about to this day. But you hear in Flair's book and in Arn's book and, and, and promo sense, everybody's cool with each other. So, this is one of those stories where there was a misunderstanding, but in the end, it worked out.
1: Imagine that. Imagine that, imagine that people behind the scenes were creating much more drumming. Some of that Dave Meltzer reporting, uh, I, don't, I don't believe a word he says, Does, which is unfortunate because some of it may be true, but because it comes from Dave Meltzer and he so consistently fabricates shit and it's so obvious and it's hard to, to, to know what's true and what's not true. Only the guys involved know. You know, Arne knows how he felt. Kevin knows. Gary Taylor evidently knows. Um, And they each have their own different perspective on things. So it is what it is. Let me ask. Though we still talk about it.
0: Yeah. And we should right now on the 25th anniversary, but let me ask you this. Where do you land on this? Should the horsemen have come out? No. Really? No. Okay. Nope. I would have
1: much rather built that heat. I would have liked to see them try to come out. And get stopped i would like to have seen their reactions so that the audience knew next week something was going to happen mm-hmm. that would have been a far better way to present that whole thing to use it and build it up and and make it episodic but just to come out and confront and have a physical confrontation at the end of something like that wouldn't have done anybody any good it, i i know it would have made the talent feel better because they because here's here's the thing you know you're you in this case, the four horsemen of the baby faces, right? They're out there getting fucking bitch slapped, kind of like punk did with a uh, hangman page. No opportunity to do anything about it. Talking about the interview that happened a while. Well, back.
0: Well, this was at least on the script.
1: Yes, but I mean, it's the same thing. It's the same feeling. Yeah. You know, if, if you're going to be a part of a story and you're going to be on the receiving end of some heat, it's best that whoever's on the receiving end is kind of aware of it, right? It's just common courtesy. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time World Heavyweight Champion. Tell them, Nate. Woo Wings! Legendary flavors! World Championship wings! Woo! Woo Wings!
0: Yeah! Woo woo! So let me ask you this. Do you think some of this heat, some of these issues, like, do you think that helped, toward, helped build towards the issues with Rick down the road? The, the financial issues? Well, I just know you and him are going to sue each other. It's not well, going to be The contractual issues.
1: It, I, look, I've said this before, and I think I said it to you when you on Rick Flair's podcast, when the first one you did with him. Um I didn't give Rick Flair the respect, or R for that matter, and others. I didn't show them the respect that they deserved. I am guilty of that. Admitted it before. I think this was one of any number of things, some of them valid and some maybe not, that Rick took personally and took his lack of respect. In this case, it was lack of respect for sure. No question about it. But I think because of things that had happened before and things that happened subsequently, it did add fuel to the feelings that Rick already had that he wasn't respected by me, which by the way, wasn't true, but I understand why he felt the way he felt because in some respects i acted disrespectful even though i really wasn't it was interpreted as such and I, and rightfully so but do i feel like the the story was wrong no it was good it was fucking awesome and it was so awesome because arn's promo that that was the catalyst for this that was that created it right was so awesome and so dramatic and so believable and so real that to not use it would have been wrong from a storytelling. It just could have been done better internally. Communications, everything.
0: Well, and not only that, but I feel like sometimes it's our focus that is everything. And I'm talking a lot today about our friends over at Fields because they've created something that's really help me level up my game. I'm talking about feels brand new focus melts. It's unlike anything you may be using right now to focus. Maybe once upon a time, you needed an energy booster to help you focus. Maybe you didn't want to get that afternoon cup of coffee and you had some other go-to well, let me recommend focus melts. They're a fast acting, long lasting caffeine free tablet to help you say goodbye to procrastination and reclaim your day. They're fast acting tablets dissolve in moments, leaving you with improved focus in minutes. Plus they taste great and can help you reduce your cravings for snacks. Whenever you need a boost of focus, instead of going for that second or third coffee, just grab one tablet. Focus melts are made with a naturally occurring compound that gives you a laser focus and that you expect that from caffeine and other stimulants. But here you get it without the crash. Fields has already helped more than a hundred thousand people take back control and feel better through their premium wellness products, real human support and their membership program with free delivery straight to your home. So it's time to say no to sluggish days and restless nights with Focus Melts from Feels. Become a member today and save 50% off your first order of Feels Focus Melts and get a free shipping opportunity by going to feels.com 83weeks. Just use our promo code 83weeks at checkout. And remember, you'll save time and money on any order, every order, and you can easily pause, swap, or cancel at any time. That's dot com slash 83 weeks and use 83 weeks to become a member today and say goodbye to procrastination and reclaim your day and start feeling better with feels. And thankfully everybody's feeling better because we're going to pay this off in a war games. Now, at this point, it had been advertised as Luger flair, DDP, and somebody else to take on hall, Nash, Savage, and six. We know that's going to be changed and it's going to be largely changed. I would imagine. Because of this promo, because this very quickly becomes something everybody's talking about. They do a fantastic rating. They're unopposed. They get a 4.73 rating and a 7.64 share. It's the second most watched nitro in history behind only the previous week. So there's two phenomenal back-to-back weeks of ratings here. And it all came down to this Arn promo and the NWO parody, if you will. Uh, and by the way, you put tickets on sale for Halloween Havoc, and this is before everybody could buy them online. 130 grand first day on sales. Just absolute blowout success here. Other major news like Perry Saturn's coming to WCW after all these other guys from ECW had kicked up a fuss. And very quickly there was a story that Todd Gordon might have been the mole in ECW giving contract information to WCW. Did you ever hear Todd Gordon's name? Do you think perhaps he was the guy in touch with Kevin Sullivan and all these cats in ECW?
1: I mean, I had heard Todd Gordon's name. I knew who he was, but I never heard it within the context of day-to-day business. You know, Kevin never said, Hey, I've talked to my buddy, Todd. And he never shared with me if he had Todd Gordon as a resource or not. I never knew it.
0: A question from uh, our old pal CJ on Twitter. He wants to know, I'm curious, do you think Scott Hall would have been a great, would have been able to nail a parody? So I guess the question is, why wasn't Scott Hall a part of that? What do you think?
1: I don't know why he wasn't a part of it. Um, I don't think that's, I mean, maybe he would have. I don't know. I, I don't see it. Just, you know, remembering Scott and you don't see him feeling, I don't see him having as much fun with that as everybody else did. So yeah. therefore it probably wouldn't come off. That's my just gut reaction, but I don't know.
0: Um, and Andy wants to know to the best of your knowledge, was there any genuine real life heat after the parody of the NWO? I'm not saying the day of, I think we know there were some upset feelings, but it feels as if cooler heads prevailed. Do you remember people being really upset about this just one week later, Eric? I don't. Okay. I don't.
1: I mean, I was aware there were some hurt feelings, but it wasn't like it was a big deal. It became a bigger deal as time went on, but I know in in real time, it didn't seem, it was like not even a speed
0: bump. Drew Landry points out that the next July, the WWF's newly reformed DX would parody the nation of domination. Waltman was a part of that one, just like he was here for this one. Did you think at the time that was uh infringement?
1: No, no, I wasn't even aware of it. Yeah. It wasn't on my
0: radar. Well, we know what's on our radar is that uh, we're marching towards Starcade 1997. And, uh, it's unfortunate that you weren't making sure he had a tanning bed, uh, because it all could have been different, but what we do know is next week, we're going to be talking about Hulk Hogan. Was he the WCW savior? Was Hulk Hogan the person who helped save WCW? And boy, a lot of people just got really fired up at the very notion of that idea. But we're going to present the facts next week, young man. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be a fun one. I believe that the immediate response from advertisers and all the new doors that were opened, because the WWF had always been the brand, sort of like Band Aid or Coke or Kleenex, what you really wanted was a bandage or a soda or a tissue. But you use those brand names. And I think that existed with the WWF back then. And I think it exists with the WWE now. I think if you meet somebody in your real life and you say, oh yeah, my son or daughter, brother, husband, whatever watches wrestling, they're probably going to say something like this. You mean that WWE stuff, they were the brand and Hulk Hogan helped change that. And I think charted the course of WCW and changed the course of wrestling history forever with the jump. So. We'll talk about that and debate it and get ourselves in a lot of trouble and create some controversy, and people will be clicking all around. But don't worry, because afterwards, Eric and I are going to go celebrate with a little alcohol, because that's what we like to do. Uh, My man admitted today, he don't give a damn. He'll drink a warm beer. But what I've at least (laughs) talked him into is, because I'm going to be with Eric later this week in uh, Dallas, Texas, of all places, and I'm bringing some Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic with me. And the reason I'm doing that. Is because it's the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking, and here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that gets the blame for your rough next day. And ZBiotics produces an enzyme to break down this byproduct. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you really need it most. So just remember to drink Z biotics before drinking alcohol, drink responsibly and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. I've been a believer all year. I think I tried this for the first time last year, but now whenever I know I'm going to be drinking buddy, I start with Z biotics and I do that not necessarily because I don't want to feel bad the next day, but I want to feel at my best the next day. I need to be productive. I am Mr. No Days Off. As Eric and I are recording this, it's a Saturday morning. Tomorrow morning, on Sunday morning, I'll be recording again. So I can't afford to go out and feel terrible or even feel less than. ZBiotics makes sure I don't. I encourage you to give ZBiotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com forward slash 83 weeks to get 15% off your first order when you use 83 weeks at checkout. I want to mention ZBiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, They'll refund your money, no questions asked, but I've been a big believer in this and I want to recommend that Labor Day weekend is right around the corner. So order a pack of z for you and your friends and do that today to make sure you get it in time for the long weekend. Remember to head to ZBiotics.com slash 83 weeks and use the promo code 83 weeks at checkout for 15% off. And we thank Zbiotics for sponsoring today's episode. Eric, what'd you think, man? Did we do this justice? Arn Anderson and the NWO and these controversial promos back and forth from 25 years ago.
1: Oh, I thought you're talking about Z Biotics. See, I got mine with me. Look, at I you. never get, I, I hardly ever leave home without my Z Biotics. And when I knew that you and I were going to be in Dallas together next week, I ordered it and I just opened the box <laughs> while you were doing the read. It's right here on my desk. I'm packing it. Did we do it justice? Of course, I think we always do. We always do our shows justice, brother. We, because of guys like Derek and the research and the research and time that you put into it. And frankly, my reaction, yeah, I think it was all real and honest. And therefore it has to be a good show.
0: Check it out, boys and girls. I can't wait for you guys to see what we've got cooking, some really fun stuff being planned. And of course this week, if you're going to be in Dallas, we encourage you to check out podcast movement. If you're an aspiring podcaster interested in the podcast business, I think this will be like the fifth time we've been there to speak and participate. We've been all over with these folks. We can't wait to do it again. Uh, so it'll be, uh, myself and Eric and maybe a few other folks, uh, tagging along there in Dallas and hope to see you guys here next week, man, talking all things, Hulk Hogan. Was he the savior of WCW? I think so. And we're going to make the argument. I may wind up playing devil's advocate though. You never know, but we know the one thing's for sure. We're out of time. And we'll see you next week right here on 83 weeks.
1: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you fifteen to twenty? You can pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys. The podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.